the twist is going to be that they team up with the Necrons to beat off the the Tyranids. Phrasing. Uh, <laughs> yes. Are we still doing phrasing? <laughs> Yeah, I said I realized that midway through and I was like, well shit. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> so the Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that is kicking off 2020 and trying to get done in time for kickoff. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, yes, this is our first podcast of the new year. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, most recent two Psychic Awakening books. We already talked about Phoenix Rising, and now we're going to be talking about uh, Faith and Fury and Blood of Ball. Uh, but first, as always, news, new releases, uh, your listener mail, and hobby progress. We're kind of shifting up our episode structure a little bit for 2020. We're moving hobby progress to the middle of the show, and we've added something new at the end of the show, which we'll talk about once we get there. Uh, but uh, anyway, first, news and new releases. And uh, we had our last episode come out right around New Year's, and uh, Games Workshop did not hesitate to have new stuff coming out like within a couple of days. Uh, so they did a New Year's Day like at Warhammer World and released some interesting stuff. So we've got like new Sisters of Battle coming now. And some of this is actually up for pre-release or for pre-order as of today, specifically uh, new plastic multi-part sisters. But, but they also showed off the new mortifier kits, a box of looks like 10 Arco flagellants, which is more Arco flagellants than I think anybody really needed at once, but you're getting them in boxes of 10. (laughs) Uh, the new Zephyrim, which I'm assuming that's going to be a dual kit for making Seraphim and Zephyrim. I would hope so. It looks like it. Yeah. I mean, it's all the same jetpack model. It's just like what, what they're equipped with. And then the Battle Sanctum, which is the Sisters of Battle slash Adeptus Oritas, uh piece, specific piece of terrain, which is consists of a very nice like Living Saint statue. And then a corner of ruins, which the the fact that the terrain is a corner of ruins has disappointed a few people. I still think the whole piece together looks really nice. Yeah, I think it looks really good. But I can understand people that don't, you know, that don't like having. And like I said, I'd be interested to see what the rules are if that corner piece of terrain is like part of it. If that's if that's in the kit or if that's actually part of the terrain, because I guess I could understand people going, I want to use this, but I have like, you know, a feel uh, uh a open field battle, you know, display board or something. So like that, that piece doesn't necessarily fit. So, but I, you know, we'll see once the rules come out. Right. Right. So, well, the rules are out. I mean, it's the rules are in the codex. That's the one where it's like, you get extra miracle dice. If you oh, have that's units right. on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. I think it's just that it's, it's not like a, it, it feels like the battle sanctum should almost be something more like a very churchy bastion. And instead mm-hmm. you get like a corner of a ruined church. That's fair. So I, I, I can see where the criticism comes from. I still think the statue looks awesome. The statue looks fantastic. So 
I, I'm still probably going to try to pick one up eventually. Maybe not right. And it's not available for pre-order yet. However, uh, stuff that went up for pre-order yesterday, we're recording this on Sunday, January 12th. On January 11th, the following items went up for pre-order. The standalone, not in the... Sp- not special edition in the army box, but has a separate collector's edition because that's not confusing. Uh, Sisters of Battle Codex. So Codex Adeptus Sororitas is available for pre-order. Um, the Sisters of Battle Dice, which on the one hand, I Kevin, I know off air, we had talked about that this should have been the dice in the army box, like for the miracle yeah. dice. And I will totally agree with that. However, I also, I don't like these dice because they are difficult to read at a glance. Oh, they're, they're, it continues the long, uh, tradition of GW putting out crap dice. Like, I was going to ask how they compare to the Eldar dice. Uh, the Eldar dice are so much more readable than these. Yeah. So basically, I mean, no, ev- these are bad. <laughs> yeah. Every, every face, it's a black die. And every face is like a blue and white circle that looks like it's supposed to be part of like a stained glass window. And you have to count the number of fleur-de-lis in the stained glass to know what number it is. And then like the number either one or six, I think six is a skull. But maybe one is a skull. In in fine GW tradition, it's not clear. Well, and the other thing I like about it, too, is the four and the five. The four side on the die is four four fleur-de-lis. Uh, the five side is four, four uh, Florida d'Elys with a dot in the middle because oh. of consistency. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, if, if they were more like the, the Eldar dice, they would just be a number with a Florida d'Elys on it. And that would be infinitely more readable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or have it be a floor, a big Florida d'Elys with a number inside of that. That would also yeah. have been an improvement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but yes, yeah. Kevin, you are right. This is a one, one more in a long tradition of eh, dice from uh, yeah <laughs> from G Dubs. Uh, not their not their strong suit. I don't think they, they should hey, leave th- leave leave the custom dice to Chessex and uh, thirty five dollars for twenty of these things is an excellent deal if you don't search for other dice <laughs> ever or, or know what the word deal means. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um. Other than that, though. Other than that, <laughs> uh, but then they've also got the the multi part uh, sisters uh, like battle squad kit, which yeah. looks fantastic and has and I, and they've shown off like some of the different builds you can do out of it, and it looks really cool. I was also surprised to see that the retributors kit is a separate kit that has more of the the heavy weapons in it. Yeah, that surprised me a little bit, but I guess I kind of understand it because uh, it's just like the. Um, the Havocs kit or whatever you get for like chaos Marines. True. Uh, you're in that one. You get like, you know, two of each of the heavy weapons. I imagine this when you're going to get two melty guns, two heavy flamers and probably a heavy bolter, nice. um, you know, within the kit. I, I mean, I guess there are the sprues are up. Um, <laughs> I keep see. forgetting that they put two the of each up. weapon are included in the set. Oh, heavy bolter, okay, heavy wa- flamer, multi melta. So if you buy two boxes, you can have two squads of retributors that are fully kitted out with four weapons and just yeah. have different weapons. So, no, I get that makes sense that they put that out as a separate kit. And then, you know, your leftover weapons you can use to fill out other squads or things like that. So, uh, it's that that does that's consistent with their um, with their release structure for other other kits as well. Yeah. And see the and then the the standard multi part kit um, Battle Sisters equipped with bolt guns. Two of them can be equipped with a special weapon, Storm Bolter, Melted Gun, or Flamer. And I'm assuming looking at the sprues that it's going to be probably. T- 
two bolt like two of each weapon let's see i see yeah assuming that the, some of the sprues are duplicated yeah it looks like it'll be two of each in there um yeah. and then uh another alternately one battle system may carry a special weapon while another bears a heavy weapon so heavy bolter and heavy flamer are in there so multi-meltas are only in the retributor squad but uh and then two options for simulacrum imperialis uh Sister Superior armed with a chain sword or power sword and choice of ranged weapons, including condemner bolt gun or combi weapons. So it would be nice to actually have sister's combi weapons and not have to kit bash my own. Right. <laughs> so, no, I like both of these. Um, the prices are about what you would think is standard. 60 bucks for the 10 for the standard squad, 55 for the retributors. Which seem it, it seems like well it's half as many models and also the sister squad includes two both of them include two cherubim so you're actually getting like twelve models for sixty so it's not too bad and then seven models for fifty five so it's fine and then uh, the and then also the triumph of Saint Catherine is up for pre order the the gigantic diorama unit yes <laughs> which is awesome. It looks like it's going to be a nightmare to build, paint, and transport. Because it's got like five cherubim hot flying above it that are suspended by pieces of parchment or each other's wings. Like, Yeah, it reminds me a lot of like the like some of the night haunt models. Yes. Because like those are, there's a lot of models like that that are just connected by little spindly things. The the engineering that has gone into these kits is is amazing. I'll, I'll give them that. They've they've done yeah. a, a, a and the three sixty like the still image does not do this thing justice. You really have to do the three sixty to really get a feel for how how nuts this thing is. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, and this is something that is going to ha- like you cannot paint this. At, like you cannot assemble this as one piece and then paint it. You have to paint each of these characters individually and then glue them onto the base. Although I do like that the base looks like basically a slightly ruined church base, which means when I get one, it will fit in very nicely with the rest of my sister's basing. So mm-hmm. I've kind of got no reason not to, other than the price at 110 bucks, which for a large kit is not unusual. Right, that's and, less than any of the knights currently. Yeah. Yeah. And the just sheer, like I said, the sheer insanity of this project of actually <laughs> you know, painting it. But uh, no, it's it's a it's a beautiful looking kit. Um, I'm very curious. To, I'm curious to see how how these look when they start popping up in the wild. Yeah, no, I, I am, too, because it's a I mean, we talked about it on the review. It's a great unit. Um, uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see how people, what people do with it. Cause it's definitely going to be a centerpiece model. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean this, yeah, this is definitely the centerpiece for an army and we still have more kits yet to come. Cause we don't like, obviously like the new mortifiers, Arcoflagellon, Zephyrum, they haven't been put up for pre pre-order yet. Uh, we're still waiting on, uh, the, uh, Junith, the gal and the flying battle pulpit. Mm-hmm. And we're still waiting on the new tank models. So those are still coming down the pipe. Uh, we have not seen those yet. So I imagine, I imagine like within a month, 
everything should be out. Yeah, that that seems pretty consistent whenever they kind of do these multi-week releases is that the you know, they release most of the kits in a couple of weeks and then, you know, you'll have everything out that they've revealed. So, right. I I'm, I'm excited. Like it means models look really good. The new Pendant and Engine Mortifiers look great. Like the, you know, the stuff they show in the reveals looks great. Yeah, I'm excited for it. And one other model that was revealed that will be coming when we get the probably the fourth, I think it's the fourth book in the Psychic Awakening or no fifth book, because fourth one would be Ritual of the Damned, which yeah. not is coming up for pre-order next Saturday. So it'll be two weeks before that book is fully out. But uh, so in the fifth book in the Psychic Awakening, we know is called The Greater Good, which implies that it's going to be Tau and Tau is getting a new upgraded Shadow Sun model. Yes. And this model is awesome. I love it. I want one. Cause, well, because I run Shadow Sun anyway now. Right. And so, but it's not just an upgraded model. She's actually getting upgraded rules. Because uh, apparently she's got more weaponry on her suit. Uh, she can have two different versions of fusion blasters because she can have anti-infantry fusion blasters apparently. Okay, that's weird. <laughs> um, she's got um, a missile pod attached to the suit. There's like three different heads you can put on her. You can either have like the full helmet, no helmet, or there's a version that has like a visor with like like sensor bubbles and everything on it. So that's cool. She's got two new command and control drones that look a bit different. One of them looks mm -hmm. like a stealth drone from a from a ghost keel. So we'll see if she's got improved stealth abilities. And they've also said that she will work with any Tau army now, not just Tau Sept. So she's going to be one of those characters nice. that no longer has a Sept trait, but will provide bonuses to everyone and will not prevent other Sept traits from working. So it'll definitely open up more armies to using her. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, no, it's great looking model. Oh, yeah. No. It's also kind of funny is that it's uh, it's one of the I want to say like the the little Aquila that she's standing on is like the rumor engine thing for like something back in August. Oh, very possibly like kind of like, cause I remember seeing somebody's like, well, this answers one of the rumor engine questions from six months ago. I'm like, Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Which kind of gives you an idea of how long the tail is on some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that before, like how long some of these models are in production and, and before they're going to hit, hit shelves. So yeah, this, this is something that's definitely been cooking for. And if they were taking photos of that in August, means this thing's probably been cooking for about a year, at least. Yeah, probably. So so I'm excited for that. Also, like her her suit has four arms because there's like her arms and then the guns are actually mounted on like the back of the suit on a pair of like another auxiliary pair of arms to like mimic her movements. It's just there. there's some neat engineering going on in the design. <laughs> so you know i'm i'm excited for that one that one like that was a surprise that one kind of came out of nowhere so very cool uh you know just very much looking forward to that um let's see other news in fact this just hit in the last day or so um and kind of uh relevant to our interest not that we're playing we are going to lvo not that we're playing the champs but we have a number of friends who are uh, and, and also, uh, as far as like the road to LVO, again, I'm going to recommend Goonhammer, uh, Chase writing more, more articles on how, how to try to get best Dark Angels and his, his quest to find a functional Dark Angels list in the current meta without any benefits from the upcoming Psychic Awakening book. 
Uh, so definitely check that out. But anyway, LVO Champs, uh, they announced uh, that they are changing how terrain is going to be done on the top 100 tables. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read this out, and then we'll talk about it. So uh, this is about a little under a third, like maybe a quarter or a third way down the article. And this is on Frontline Gaming. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. Uh, LVO 2020 Top 100 Tables. Based on popular feedback, we have decided to standardize the Top 100 Tables at the LVO 2020, striking a balance between having variety in table aesthetics and layouts which with uh, layouts which the majority of players have told us they prefer, and having some predictability in the top tables for the dedicated competitors. Based on feedback from our staff of judges and the awesome players at the Charity Hammer event, we have decided to do something new and exciting for these tables to ensure the best possible play experience. No one table layout is going to be optimal for six deployment, six different deployment types, and frankly, playing on the exact same terrain layout every game gets a bit stale to play on and to watch. So we've adopted this new strategy to adapt the terrain to the deployment to provide optimal experience regardless of deployment type. The below terrain layouts will be used depending on the deployment type rolled each game. As terrain must be adjusted pre-game as it inevitably gets moved during the course of the game, this should flow into the experience quite easily, and each of the top 100 tables will have an illustrated handout on the table to help facilitate this process with terrain definitions. To further accommodate this new strategy, we will not be randomizing table assignments, meaning that if you are winning your games, you will be playing on the these tables. Assuming normal attrition, we predict that all undefeated players will be playing on these tables by round three at the latest. So if you want to utilize these next two weeks to practice with the intent of making top eight, you can assume that these are the tables you will most likely be playing on. A few practice rounds adjusting the terrain and getting used to them will make playing at the LVO even smoother. For reference, the hills pictured average four inches in height and 10 to 14 inches in length. The cargo containers are treated as hills for the rules purposes, and their area terrain pieces treated as providing cover to units normally but have no other rules. Also, the exact buildings used may vary slightly from table to table, but will be the same rough dimensions. Players will set the terrain during uh, step two of the normal ITC Champs missions order of operations. Terrain is to be placed cooperatively, and the images below are guidelines to be used to achieve an approximation. Actual tables will vary slightly. Players will agree before moving on to the next step in the mission order of operations that the terrain is agreeable and represents as closely as they can achieve the images below. If the players need help setting their table, call a judge to adjudicate. When selecting a deployment zone, it must be one of those depicted in the images, i.e. you cannot choose a deployment zone not labeled player A or player B in Vanguard or Spearhead, which means like which corner of the table you are in mm-hmm. is fixed based on it's like you can't flip them the other way. So this is uh this is kind of an interesting change and it's an interesting way to address that issue of hey some some table layouts uh, favor some builds more than others and different events have tried different ways of addressing this so uh like for example i know in the past and i don't and dennis you can remind us since you did play in the gt at renegade are they was placing terrain still part of that or was it fixed terrain on the table i'm gonna say a mix of both um the train was was fixed on the table but like the article said when you put boards down or people bump them, the train gets moved. So mm-hmm. I think one of the things me and my opponent kind of rearranged all had to rearrange all the train, but past that it, it was pretty much preset as to where they were. And we, when we rearranged our train, we got tried to make it look like the other tables. Okay. So, um, and I've seen some feedback, like people have already been posting on a, like the Lord Marshall conference, uh, Facebook page and such so far, 
not a, a, I, I'm seeing, and I haven't followed through on like the competitive 40k Facebook pages or the um like some like the actual front like gaming page or anything. And like I so said, this just I think hit today. So far, I haven't seen a lot of positive feedback. People are not liking the idea of playing on perfectly symmetrical tables. So, what what are you guys' thoughts on this? I like it and I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the most part, I, I like it because this feels standardized. This this is like I think the closest you can have because it reminds me of kind of like Kill Team Arena, where you have the fixed this this is your terrain. Here's the mission. You'll set up your train to match the mission. And it feels like that. It fe- This feels like the most fair and balanced way it can. The downsides I see, it probably still will favor some armies over others because there isn't as much big line of sight blocking terrain that I saw on those maps as there are. And all of us here, I think we just still laugh at, at cover um, because area train giving that plus one cover just – doesn't seem to do anything because so much stuff removes cover. So uh, that's why I'm kind of that. And personal opinion, I like the non-symmetric, but I'm more of I, I want to play for fun and narratively. So mm-hmm. th- I think this works very well for competitive. I don't know if there's enough tall line of sight blocking stuff on it. I mean, they have the two pieces. Hopefully that would be enough because they put them in the middle sections always. Mm-hmm. I think we might have to see what it plays out, but I, I think this could be a good change for LVO. So I, I like it from the competitive, you know, the, from the competitive standpoint of having standardized terrain rules and like, okay, this is we're going to try to balance it as much as possible. I kind of agree with Dennis. Like, I, I prefer not playing on perfectly symmetrical tables because, you know, that's part of the fun of the game is setting up the train and just getting variety of cool train. But uh, I kind of understand the need to to standardize it and take the table effects out of the equation. There's never going to be a table setup that doesn't favor one build over the other. So if every single one of these pieces was three level line of sight blocking terrain, people would come in and be like, this favors this build over this one. So you're never really going to get away from that, especially with the current crappy cover rules. So I don't mind it in theory. I think it's good that they're trying to do this. My personal hesitation comes from I don't know that I love a company that makes terrain telling us what terrain we need for our tables. <laughs> well, that that is a fair concern. Uh, although I will say they are at least saying this is for LVO. They're sure, not. Sure. They are not saying this is an ITC standard. You must use this yeah. if you are playing ITC uh, an ITC event. Exactly. Exactly. I just. I'm hesitant to make it, you know, to have it have a third party terrain company go. This is how we're going to start playing competitive 40K. And it's like, I hope that that I hope it I don't mind that it exists. I think it's good for their event, um, especially for the champions where you're going to have a lot of highly competitive players. I get all that. Uh, Yeah, I just I just don't know if I necessarily want to see this happen at every event. I don't want to go to a local RTT and have people say, here's how the terrain has to be set up. So. So, so as somebody as somebody who does a lot of table setup or ha, you know has done a lot of table setup as a TO, I I am I tend to like to set up my tables symmetrically anyway because I I don't want the map to favor one player and like I don't want one sure. deployment zone to be clearly better than the other, and and this does address that quite a bit. 
I find it interesting, the idea of shifting the terrain for the deployment zone. And I actually kind of like that. I kind of like... I I Mm -hmm. like that, too. I do like like that, that because the other solutions we've seen that try to address this is either... Like the Atlanta open where it's like, here's the standardized train. Every table is set up completely identically. And we've tried to mathematically figure out the right place of terrain. But the train ends up being like it just, you know, they didn't go very fancy on the train because they had a mm-hmm. lot of tables to do. And and so the other although, you know, we the guy who does who did the train for them. I mean, he had quite a challenge of mass producing terrain to a standardized set you know, set and he's pretty yeah, much doing it yeah. himself so no no slight against him mm-hmm. you know you know he's he's doing absolutely the best he can considering the situation whereas frontline has years and years of lvo train that they've accumulated sure uh, sure uh, although i do find it interesting how little of the the train on this table is tall line of sight blocking stuff like there's two big l ruins you know, one in each deployment zone, but not like Nova L's, which I do not like Nova L's. I understand they provide a particular function if you're trying to do the one table setup that fit fits everything, but I do not find them to be interesting, fun terrain at all. <laughs> they're, yeah, I, I would agree them, with that. I find them to be rather boring. I, I, and they do do the one thing that they're supposed to do, which is hide knights. They do. And that's and that is kind of like my one concern on this is I don't know if there's enough knight hiding terrain, but maybe there shouldn't be. I'm just going to say maybe that should be one of the trade offs of like of playing giant robots is your giant robot is out in the open and there's not very many good places to hide it. Well, so one thing I'll say, too, is that obviously this is uses the the, the images they provided use standard art assets like it's just copy and paste you know like they've got a, a a table map and then they've got like four or five terrain items and they've kind of moved them around if you look at the lv uh the frontline terrain sets that they sell the l's that they have are all two stories right so it's like they those are those are tall enough to hide nights behind so if assuming they're using their own terrain um there there, there will be a pretty good amount of line of sight blocking terrain on here well, even though it may not necessarily appear like it on the uh on the sketches they have, but I, those, those L shaped buildings should be at least two stories tall, which should be plenty. Right. But I, I'm more thinking like when we've been trying to adjust train for eighth edition and e- even a little bit in seventh edition for like Midwest conquest, we've like tried to make sure like, Oh gosh, we've got to have so many ruins and so many line of sight blockers, you know, so many tall line of sight blockers. Cause that was the only train that mattered. And here's LVO saying we're going to have like two tall line of sight blockers on each table and then a bunch of like mid-range like one like four inch tall line of, like because they've got like four of these hills which mm-hmm. and they say hills they're really just thick barricades you know right uh and then a couple of uh, cargo containers which themselves are only about like three inches so you know, so they got a lot of stuff for blocking infantry not a lot of stuff and then just like the one thing on each side for blocking something really big i do think it's interesting that they're including four pieces of area terrain for blocking or for providing cover and i think as much as we we are not fans of the current cover rules with marines getting extra ap on their weapons anything you can do to mitigate that by having plus one to your armor save is not a bad thing having spots at the table where you can just 
can counteract sure. that be- benefit is kind of good, and I think in this format is kind of necessary. I'm just more interested that it is it is very different from some of the table layouts that we've seen in the past. I don't think it's a bad thing. I, I'm kind of with you, Dennis. I think it's I think it's good and it's good and bad. But I think as long as it's it's kept to LVO and let people play with it and experiment on it at LVO and in their practice games for LVO and see how they feel about it. I have a feeling that people are going to be a lot more positive than they necessarily are right now. Sure, I think people just don't like change. That is, we we know that for a fact. That is absolutely true. <laughs> and so, moving from one competitive event to another, we just wanted to let, remind you that Midwest Conquest registration is open. And in fact, we are currently in our early bird pricing, which ends at the end of March. On April first, prices will go up. Uh, currently, uh, tickets to get into the uh, grand tournament or the friendly are fifty dollars each, and that includes your event badge. The, uh, this year, you do not have to register separately at UndercomGaming.com. You can just buy your tickets through Best Coast Pairings. Um, we've got all the uh, information up uh, as far as like the event packet and or you know as, the event packet as it stands right now. Depending on what changes ITC puts down the pipe as far as like missions and such, we'll adjust accordingly. Uh, the uh, registration for those is open. Uh, we already do have some registrants. We also have had a listener uh, basically buy a uh, a friendly tournament badge, although he will not be able to attend. So we are coming up with a method to give that away to a listener. We'll have more details about that in our next episode. Uh, but uh, keep in mind, it's going to be something about like trying to reward somebody with an awesome army theme. So uh, we'll have a a drawing on that but uh like i said more details in episode 210 uh but uh yeah we've got you know the friend we've got the grand tournament the friendly we have a kill team event on friday and uh, that is going to be an itc event so if you want to earn itc kill points uh and this we're going to be early in the season on for the 2020 2021 season so if you want to earn some kill team points on friday that will be available uh we also have our night joust uh which is always a lot of fun and we're going to try to make this so so this is going to be 8 p.m on saturday uh but uh, we're going to come up with a method to have it not end at two in the morning and uh we've got rules very clearly on that so that uh no weirdness of uh like somebody bringing a, a shadow sword or, and sorry, no Wraith Knights or Chitons allowed. I'm sad, but I'm starting to accept the facts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, I mean, well, Dennis, you can't win it because you're one of the people helping like run the event. I know. And but, I have a night. But you do have a chaos night. You could run in it. So, <laughs> and it actually does okay. Yeah. But uh, all those events are available, uh, and th- remember, this is going to be uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is May 22nd through 24th or in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, we'll be at Undercon at the uh, Sheraton Crown Center, and uh, yeah, just get registered sooner than later so you can get the, the savings on the main events, and uh, we'll be releasing more information as we get closer. I think we just about nailed down our charity army, or at least one of them, for mm-hmm. uh, for this year. And uh, we'll have more details coming. But yes, MidwestConquest.com or find the events on BCP. You can search for Midwest Conquest or search for events in Kansas City, uh, May 22nd through 24th. And uh, you should be able to find us there and register. And like if you go to the Midwest Conquest site, you click the register here. There are links for all four events that will take you straight to Best Coast Pairings. And you can go ahead and register for those events there. 
All right. So next up is listener mail. Uh, and I want to give a huge shout out to the listeners. We were, the hopper was empty going into this episode. And so I put out a call on Facebook to say like, hey, we're going to be recording in about two to three hours. Do you want to get your questions in? And my goodness, the floodgates opened. <laughs> you guys are all I was awesome. Impressed. Yes. So, uh, yeah, you guys are all awesome. So if you, we will try to get through as many of these as we can uh, in about a half hour or so. So we don't run too long on time. Uh, so, and if we don't get to your question today, it's in the hopper for next episode. So we, we will get to it eventually. Uh, so, uh, and if you want to know other ways besides answering a Facebook post on how to get letters to us, we'll tell you at the end of the segment. So first up, a question from Jen Minear, and I wanted to get this one for sure because this is right up your wheelhouse, Dennis. Jen writes, what does Slanesh demons need in Psychic Awakening to make demonettes good again? I just attended a tournament with a single 30 blob with command and four MSU squads, and either the 30 blob had to rely on the deep strike charge or eating all of the shots before getting in. The characters in Slanesh are terrific, but it seems like having no troops and getting CP from other detachments may be a better solution. And that is a, a fair statement because you know, right now in the current meta, the best thing you can do with demonettes I'm learning is just run three squads of ten of them and have your battalion that way and then just use them for holding point control because demonettes are not scary. If they have to run up the board, they're going to get shot up and – I'm sorry, three toughness and only a five up invone really hurts. Um so pretty much what I would love to see in Psychic Awakening to kind of get them better, I don't know if they'd, they'd go to great, but maybe good would be um, like, remember back in the, I guess, the 5th, 6th edition where they had the um, alluring um, enchantress, or not enchant, but alluring essence or what that made it so they were harder to hit in mm -hmm. shooting. It was kind of like stealth is now. Mm -hmm. um, if they had just either something to make it harder to hit them as they were running at you because they're affecting your senses and your senses can't focus on where they're at or flat out negate overwatch like banshees. I don't think they'd do that, but that would be ideal or just up their invone save like they did with Harlequins. I know they're not going to do that one because Zeech has the, <laughs> the corner mark on that. But but he's right. The, the the only way demonettes can be good, since there's no shooting, they have no toughness, they just have to have a way to get into combat. And I'm, I'm thinking if they had like a permanent minus one to hit, that would be something and maybe make it a minus two to hit in. Well, minus two in Overwatch wouldn't work. Cause, never mind. I'm or even just a strat to avoid Overwatch. Yeah, yeah, some some limited way for Overwatch. Uh, the other thing it kind of mentioned that you mentioned there, since they don't have shooting, I think I think Gene Steeler Colts get this, and maybe I'm wrong, or maybe I'm thinking of something else. But maybe just like a add like three inches to their charge movement, or, or their advance movement, or a flat advance movement, or something. So um, you're saying all the things that Banshees have. Yeah, I mean, well, okay, fair, okay, I couldn't remember where it was, but, like, yeah, something like that, since they're not ever going to be shooting, they're always going to be advancing, maybe a boost to their advance or something, you know, to, to allow them to get across the table faster. Yeah, because with Demonettes, I mean, that, because right now, Slanesh's thing of always fighting first when you're going to be charging anyway is really a, a non-benefit. 
Right. So, and, and also when you're playing against smart opponents, they know you fight first, so they're only going to charge one thing so you don't get to interrupt. And part two, um, most of the fights don't last long enough to go to rounds. You're either wiping the opponent or they're wiping you. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, a change to their, their Slanesh army power would be kind of nice too, yes. Maybe like maybe like Kevin said, maybe make Quicksilver Swiftness that you always fight first, plus you get a three inches charge and you can charge up to 15. Yeah. Sort of like add in the Banshees one to that. Right. Which would then allow them to be, a li- like, Chaos Demons would be different from, like, Emperor's Children Chaos Space Marines, because Emperor's Children Chaos Space Marines would still get the always fight first, but then Demons would be like, we're more pure Slanesh, so we fight first and we're faster. And yeah. then I'd also say toss in the stratagem of the... um disrupted senses to prevent overwatch maybe make it like a two cp thing yeah mm-hmm. no i could totally see that because yeah that have some way to yeah avoid overwatch is, is what that army needs because they just don't have the resilience to survive that so yeah no I'd, I'd be fine with that i said after that we'll just have to see what comes from psychic awakening because i have truthfully no idea what's going to happen yeah, no no idea what's coming. And we don't even know, like, how far down the line that they're going to get bumped up. It depends on, like, they're probably not going to be in Ritual of the Damned. We don't know about Greater Good. And I'm guessing... Greater Good, I'm going to think, is probably, uh, like, Tau versus maybe Death Guard. Because that's something that's been happening in, like, the uh, like the Fifth, Spe- Fifth Sphere uh, expansion. And then... Uh, Saga of the Beast is probably going to be Space Wolves and Orcs, so... Man, that would be one heck of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But but otherwise, it's like... Uh, it, it's you just got to play super smart with Slanesh, which, like, Asa from uh, Renegade Open definitely managed to master that, but... but and, and to be fair, though, his list was focused on all the giant characters, and he yep. used only as little of the demonettes as he could and for objectives because they they die too easily. And at least the big ones have more range because they're, they're faster. They go 14 inches and they've got more toughness, more attacks. So in the end, they're, the, the named characters and the giant demons are just better right now, which they, they should be, but I guess it it's, would be nice to see Horde slanash demonettes on the table again. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like, Dennis, what is the advice that we've been giving you? Use Chaos Space Marines. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, cultists are better. (laughs) Someday I will be able to, like, throw my seven, or if they make Horde Demonettes good again, then maybe I'll have to up from my 70 I own to maybe 120 and have roll three squads or four squads of 30. That would be awesome. Or, or he could use them to play Age of Sigmar. That might be a better use for them right now. Oh, I have been told that I should just move my demonettes over to Age of Sigmar and just roll over there because apparently Slanesh is very good over there. See, then you could get like the best of both worlds. You'd have your demonettes good in one game and then all your other Slanesh stuff good in another. Well played. <laughs> all right. Next up is from Cold Open Stories. Cold Open writes, uh, what is your engagement level with Black Library fiction, books, audio dramas, etc.? And do you have any plans for 2020 in this regard, such as reading more? So I won't speak for everyone else here. I don't know how much you guys do Black Library. I, I read Black Library occasionally. There's a number of authors that I really like. Aaron Dembski, Bowden, Dan Abnett. I mean, uh, th- these are obviously like the superstars. And uh, I've been actually trying to to fill in some of the the 
backlog of stuff uh, that I have yet to read. I've uh, at half price books. I managed to pick up like the first four uh, Gaunt's Ghost books. I have not had a chance to read them, but they're on my bookshelf. I'm currently reading book three of The Expanse. So when I finish that one, I'll probably pick up one of one of those. I also have a number of the uh, Space Marine Battles books to read. But I I really like most of this, especially the newer stuff that uh, Black Library has been putting out. I've listened to a couple of their audio dramas, and I really dig them. Uh, and I, I just – I've been trying to f- – fit in reading more fiction in general not just gw stuff uh into my life and so this year i'm definitely going to make sure i have spots open for reading like more black library stuff but the stuff i have read like the uh the night lords trilogy by aaron Dembski bowden is phenomenal obviously eisenhorn and ravner those those compilations are very good gaunt's ghost is very highly regarded uh like there's there's some some authors like i will and and also the uh the Black Legion series, which isn't done yet. There's only two of the books out so far, but again, Aaron Dembski Bowden, great stuff. Uh, just absolutely love it. So um that's that's what I have read of it so far. And then of course, I think it's either this year or maybe early next is when Marvel is gonna start putting out GW comics. Like yeah. we're gonna start seeing Warhammer forty K comics from Marvel. So uh I'm excited to see what they do with those. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I've read some Black Library library novels, um, specifically like a lot of Dan Abnett stuff. I want to read more, but that's just kind of a 2020 thing in general is that I need to read more books. Um, so, uh, yeah, the Siege of Terror stuff is going on right now. Like they're, you know, entering the final stretch of the Horace Heresy novels. So I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff they have. Every book that I've read of theirs, I've really liked. Um I just unfortunately don't get a chance to read as much as I should. Yeah. Oh, and also don't want to forget uh, James Swallow is another one of their the writers mm. they've had in their stable. And uh, very apropos with the new release lately, he has some very good uh, Adeptus Rotas stories. Uh, so, yeah, definitely recommend checking those out as well. All right, next up from Jeremy Hagen. Jeremy writes, Given the increased complexity of Space Marines and other armies as they receive attention in Psychic Awakening, what armies do you suggest for new people joining the hobby? I know my first suggestion. What's that? Whatever looks shiny and calls out to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as everything gets more complex, it's, that's probably the best answer anyway. I mean, and, and honestly, I'll say this. Like... Playing like Iron Hands is still pretty simple. I mean, it's not point to, and shoot. Not to, yeah, not to not to crap on like Iron Hands players because I like Iron Hands like as from a fluff perspective. But like Space Marines are still a super easy army to play. Like it's not there's there are more advanced, complicated tactics you can do with them, but it's a pretty easy baseline army to pick up and play at this point. So, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would go with Dennis and be like, it's really more of what calls to you if you if you like giant monsters play tyranids if you like orcs play orcs if you like you know giant robots giant robots play tau like or the giant robot or army. knights yeah or knights but like so i think it's really just kind of what calls to you because if you're brand new to the game and you're brand new to like wargaming you're not going to be good initially <laughs> you know you're not going to immediately pick this game up and start winning tournaments and and all that stuff so you want to have an army that you're engaged with, that you enjoy working with, that you enjoy painting. Um, and if 
if the if it doesn't if the army doesn't meet that and it's like oh i'm just playing this because it's good the meta shifts so quickly you're not going to get that army finished in time for it to be good and then you're going to get frustrated that you spent you know however many hundreds of dollars buying this force spent all the time painting it and then you get to play it and it's not good anymore so find an army you like find an army you engage with in the fluff or you like the aesthetic of and just have fun with it and if you decide you like the hobby then you can expand out into other things. And and maybe do some extra research like you're talking about there. Not just the fluff, but how the army plays. Like some of us have different play styles even among the four of us. And so there are more armies we gravitate to because we like their play style as much as we like the fluff and or the way the models look. Mm-hmm. I would say there's probably a couple armies that I would lean more towards and some I would lean away from. Like I would lean away from Mechanicus. I think Mechanicus is still one of those armies that – really benefits advanced players and i would mm-hmm. say gene stealer cults kind of along the same lines too because it yeah. really gene stealer cults like really rewards knowing target priority and knowing when to pop things out of deep strike like when to ambush and, and knowing that you're generally outgunned as far as like strength of weapons so you just have to know when to apply numbers but it's not like a an orc army where you just like rush the field like orcs i would say is a is would be a very good starter army just because it's like orc strategy isn't <laughs> orc strat- it's, yeah point, a point in war army yeah pretty much yeah. <laughs> see and on those lines i'll say knights might be an army easier army to get into because you don't have to worry about many models and thus not many rules i, I would agree and it's one of the it's one of the cheaper armies to start now too yeah because you you need four or five models and you're good yeah. And this army is not good competitively, unless you go with lots of Forge World, but custodes are very easy to learn and yeah. have on the table. And they're very forgiving for new players. Yeah, that was one I was I was yeah. going to say, like, I would recommend. Also, very, again, an, a small army to paint and very easy to paint. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of like the new Grey Knights. <laughs> yeah. Because Grey Knights used to be that way. Yep. So, and, so you're it, saying that custodes are going to become suddenly bad for 10 years? Ooh, harsh true but harsh yeah <laughs> although hey next in, in a week or two gray knights might actually get decent we'll see we'll see but again it's that it, the added complexity of psychic awakening which at this point not to spoil it too much but psychic awakening really needs to be considered like codex 0.5 upgrades to everything 0.5 yeah. or 0.25 yeah, yeah some some armies it's it's a straight up 0.5 maybe even like a bring it up to like a 2.0 but uh, yeah, for the, for the most part, yeah, these these are not small upgrades or updates to each army. But yeah, I would say yeah, custode like easier armies, custodes, knights, um, orcs. I mean, th- those are the the simpler ones. But yeah, I think to to get to Dennis's point, it's like whatever calls out to you because they're all going to be like and, and like I said, you know, lean I lean away from like Mechanicus, but man, if 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 battle cyborgs <laughs> and if battle cyborgs and walking walking tanks is cool to you then by all means go with that i mean the the start collecting box for that is a really good start and you know have have fun with it just it's whatever it calls to you is is the best army to pick um right and and as you start playing like i mean the armies basically play as simply as you make them play true yeah so you know i mean 
if you forget rules, yeah, whatever. You just didn't get that benefit. I mean, if you get stuff, if you forget rules and it's to your opponent's detriment, then that's something that you have to work on. But, you but know, yeah, it's a learning process. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some armies, like even sub factions of some armies, play simpler than others. Uh, for example, you know, uh, world eaters basically play like orcs. Yep. <laughs> as long as you remember to put them in rhinos, Kevin. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> All right, next up, Michael Grayless writes, what are your guys' thoughts on drop pods? I want to make them work. I'm just not sure I can with all the firepowers that lists are putting out these days. So are these drop pods with the doors up or drop pods with the doors down? Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's one of the problems. <laughs> they are they are, they, they are problems. Um, yeah, I, I think ever, there was a brief shining moment when Space Marine 2.0 came out that everyone was like, oh, good, drop pods will be awesome again. And then they looked at other, the other things that were like, no, no, they won't be. I it, mean, the, the benefit is the coming in on turn one, which you normally can't. Right. But the other the downside is finding good places to place them and mm-hmm. and having to maintain the nine inch bubble, not just for the drop pod, but for the guys inside, too, which kind of limits some of the benefit. Well, and when you have, like, you know, incursors and infiltrators that can give you the same effect without having to buy a drop pod separately. Well, and as he was saying there, drop pods, there's more firepower on the board now just to deal with everything else. The drop pods are kind of like an afterthought of one guy shoots one gun, drop pod goes away. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, I exaggerated a little bit, but probably not by much. <laughs> I I think you could use drop like I could see lists that use one or two drop pods. The other problem is drop pods don't work with Primaris at all, and with yeah. so much focus on Primaris, it's like unless you're going hard on tacticals or you know traditional Marines, it's there's not much utility there, and you have to get and it, when drop pods could hold regular dreadnoughts, that might have been a thing, but now you have to have like they just redid the Lucius pattern drop pod. So, yeah, that that's not happening again. So, yeah, I just I don't know if there is a spot like that. That's my thought on is I don't know right now if there's a good spot for them unless you have something like they don't even help assault Marines because they can't because you still have that nine inch bubble. So unless you've got a way to improve your charge range, you don't you, you can't really get a good benefit out of it. Um, the only ones I could th- I could think of possibly working well would be ultramarine tactical marines in a drop pod once tactical doctrine is up, which is at least second turn, because then you can drop them in. They don't count as having moved, and you're easily in rapid-fire range for just, like, everything. I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of, where I, like, offhand, where I think they could be incredibly useful is you take, like, a uh, Death Watch squad with, um, like, four frag cannons, and deep strike them and just get them within nine inches and get them inside your frag range and basically just blow something up. But at that point, you're suicide. You're suicide squatting that. Like that squad's going to die and that drop pod's going to die. So, it, I, that's that's about the only best I can think of is like there's limited utility of like using it as a suicide squad. But other than that, I can't really see it as a viable tactic. And, and Kevin, frag cannons are too many points to put in a suicide squad. Right, yeah, or you know, or melted guns, combi melts, something like that. Like, but that's kind of the only thing I can think of is 
turn one, you, you know, you throw a squad in in a drop pod to get in their line and blow up a tank. And that's about it. Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's and that's part of it is you're kind of throwing that unit away. So I don't know that it's I don't know that it's worth it. You know, when especially as Rob mentioned, there's so many other ways that you can outflank, infiltrate, scout move, stuff like that. So. Yeah, I don't I don't really see it. I don't really see it having a spot right now, which kind of sucks because it's an iconic Space Marine vehicle. But then iconic Space Marines aren't the same Space Marines anymore either. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Next one from Sydney Morgan. What do you think of the chance? What do you think the chances are that we'll get a new line of plastic Imperial Guard infantry? Uh, Considering uh, what stuff has been redone. Who knows? Like that, I I really couldn't say. It's such it's such a uh, such a crapshoot on on what d- gets redone because it's not it's not like they don't have a fully featured plas- plastic line. And technically, there's two because they've got Catachin versions of a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. I'd love to see plastic options for like something else but they've also been leaning really hard lately on here's how to kit bash different guard uh you know whether you're using bits from like mechanicus or gene stealer cults or vice versa you know gene stealer cults using bits from guard or or from fantasy lines stuff like that so i think they're kind of digging having the standard cadian or cadian guard body and then like figuring out ways to add to that so i I couldn't really say i i'm i'm gonna go ahead and say it's probably slim to no chance and the reason why i say that is what gw has shown in the last several years is that whenever they are going to come out and uh introduce like an entire new plastic line of models it gets its own codex so like is there the possibility that there may be like a voistron uh line of like you know cossack models or something down the line for infantrymen maybe but i think when they do it i don't think it would be in the guard codex i think they would release a supplement or a codex that is just specific for that army um and yeah sure you could use those models for whatever but like i don't know that i don't know that they would go through and reintroduce and like introduce a whole parallel line for an existing codex um if they do anything like that it's going to be a new army like could they do plastic Death Corps of Krieg? Sure. They're not going in the IG codex. They're going in a Death Corps of Krieg codex that they can sell for $60 a pop. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think I'm with you. It's like, is it, is it possible? Sure. Anything's possible. Nobody expected a new Shadow Sun a couple yeah. of weeks ago. You know, no, so they can definitely surprise us. But yeah, I'm with you. It's like slim chance at best, at very best. Yeah. All right, next up, Brian Jones writes, do you think we'll get Fulgrim before we get another Loyalist Primarch? I think that's a coin flip, because we've got Ritual of the Damned coming, which would be a great chance to introduce Mm -hmm. Lionel Johnson, or we've got Saga of the Beast, which would be a great chance to introduce Lehman Russ. But I I want either Fulgrim or Russ. Those are the two I want. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. but... uh, I I think Fulgrim is is more likely, although we're due for a. I mean, if, if we're in alternating Primarch rules, we're due for a Loyalist. But the fact that well, either, so it can't be the so it can't be the Lion then. 
<laughs> old joke still checks out uh, <laughs> still works <laughs> but also the fact that either they're pl- they're keeping that very under wraps or they would have revealed it at new year's like that that would have been worthy of a new year's reveal unless they are trying to wait to reveal lionel johnson like right before this book com- you know right before ritual of the damned comes out but and maybe full grum will be in a later book, and, and that'll be the a big villain in for part of this. I, it I comes in somewhere. If full, if they're going to do Fulgrim, it's either going to be when they do the Chaos Demons Psychic Awakening book, or right. it'll be post Psychic Awakening because we've already had the Emperor's Children upgrade. That would have been their chance to slot that in. Right, and Emperor said it'd be much later book, or like you said, maybe right after. Yeah. Um, and also technically so much. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, he's, he's showing up all over in the fluff, but they're not, they haven't done anything with him yet. So it's like, he's got to be in there somewhere. Uh, although also I would point out that Emperor's children got updated in faith and fury, but they're not actually in the story in faith and fury. So it's more, they updated that because that's all the chaos space Marines getting updated. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's see here. It was, it was 2017 was the last time that we got a new Primarch model. Yeah, because that was full. Yeah, because like, that was Mortarian when the Dark, yeah, when the Death Guard like it's came out. Been it's been a full two years. Like it doesn't feel that long. It doesn't. But like I, I, I don't. I wonder. Like I don't know. I don't know if we're gonna get any on the horizon just because it's like it's been a while. They've been releasing other stuff. I, I don't know. It it could. I could easily see it being a couple more years until they release another Primarch model. Or maybe end of this year, whenever Psychic Awakening ends or something. Wraps up. Yeah. 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 I I, I wouldn't expect it. Like I said, they're either going to slip something in for one of the loyalists in Psychic Awakening, or we might get Fulgrim afterwards. But they they keep dropping hints that he's being very active. So Mm -hmm. eventually. Uh, All right. Next up from Roman Vargas. Roman writes, are any plans to start new armies in the new year? (laughs) <laughs> well i've got that sisters of battle box and uh they're releasing a bunch of plastic models now so yeah <laughs> i have I'm a, no plans, i'm a sucker <laughs> but we also know kind of like kevin i have a problem since we already counted i have what seven or eight armies now that that's well, like don't at, get the, all at the start of last year you had no plans to have chaos knights or chaos space marines and yet here you are <laughs> yeah so that's why i said i'm saying no but we'll see um i don't know if this yeah. count oh sorry yeah i don't i really don't want to start a new army i need to I, i've got plenty of unpainted models <laughs> yeah <laughs> um I, I i don't know if this counts technically counts as starting it this year because i started assembling my blood angels last year but this is the year that i'm gonna actually going to start painting and playing them so I thought you were going to say the sister's box since technically got a new box I like that. i i do have the new sister's <laughs> box and i've actually assembled like two models from it but uh or one actually i've assembled one model from it because i i have to I, which i figured out my basing problem but uh I, i'm still i'm gonna have to to get some more bases for them but uh yeah i, I definitely not starting a sister's army since i already have one but uh yeah my blood angels would be the only thing that i'm actually gonna really try to get going this year and with the stuff in blood of all i think i'll really enjoy playing them uh, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah, no plans to start anything new that I haven't already technically started on. 
Uh, let's see. Next up from our, my number one fan, Renee Barr. What do you want on your tombstone? And there is only one correct answer, and that is cheese and pepperoni. I'm not a fan of pepperoni. I'll just do cheese. <laughs> do, do they Pineapple even still make Canadian bacon? See, you're a man after yes, my own heart. I can't do Canadian. Pizzas. I can't do Canadian bacon anymore, but I really like it. <laughs> of course, I can't really do pizza anymore either. So true. Um, uh, this was a question that popped up on Twitter from Dave Rinney. Uh, he writes, uh, question for you fine gentlemen that I've been wondering as we possibly head towards ninth edition. Uh, how should legacy units or models, uh, or how should legacy units or models be handled? Not that stuff got tossed to legends, but stuff that's always been in the game and is still in codexes out of historical precedent, but is limiting design choices for armies like striking scorpions. There's nothing wrong with scorpions, but they and units like them are sort of around because they've always been around. Are they blocking new design ideas that those armies could really use? And marine assault squads feel like another example. Oh, this is actually a good question. Um, I don't know, but in light of Primaris happening, um, some of the legacy or what, how do you use it? Yeah. Legacy, not legend. The legacy models and units are showing their age. Like they just cannot get things done on the battlefield like they used to. And thus they're not being used. And so it'll, I'm, I'm curious as to what GW would do about it. I mean, I don't really want to see Eldar get a Primaris treatment because that just seems weird. But it, it's, I'm kind of at a loss too because I don't see striking scorpions on the field. I don't even see banshees on the field unless I play them normally. Okay. So there's just lots of units that, I mean, I think we talked about this in previous editions of the units that get lost because there's other units that are better in the slot. Yeah. Well, now it's just since, slots don't matter it's just what units are lost because they're just not competitive yeah well i think there's also some units that have kind of fallen out of like the design aesthetic for the army so the ones that i think of are like the alien auxiliaries for tau it has been three editions i guess three codexes since they've actually like put any emphasis on vespids or crew um as like even really part of the army Everything new they get, all of the benefits, all go towards the Tau units. And that's fine. That's just a d- different design aesthetic. They're they're designing that army more to be about synergies and drones and like the larger units. And that's left the alien auxiliaries kind of off to the side. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. They just don't work as well with the new design aesthetics. I I think the answer to this, and I know this is not going to be people are not gonna be happy about this. I think the answer is legends. Um, I think the first wave of legends was clearing out all of the crap from the indexes that we didn't have models for clearing, you know, getting rid of those cleaning up that stuff. And I think the second wave is going to be going in and taking out units that maybe still have models, but just don't have a place in these codexes anymore. Um, I mean, we talked about it in the space Marine codex review. It was like a hundred some pages without any of the special characters for any of the chapters. Like there's just too many options. You have to start calling. And if that means that things like, you know, the whirlwind gets retired, eh, it sucks, but it's not the end of the world either. Yeah. I, now I would disagree that necess- that some of these are necessarily limiting design choice. 
uh, like, I don't think striking scorpions are necessarily stopping Eldar from having another unit that does something similar. Uh, they can definitely just take striking scorpions and upgrade them. I mean, that's sure. Yeah. Like release or a new plus. Really put a new primary, not primaries, a new um, aspect warrior in. I mean, they've done that before too. Yeah. I mean, obviously right. that, that's or, where I mean, the, the example of the, the primary space Marines kind of, intercessors are the the new tactical marines like that's just kind of a sort of a replacement and that really didn't stop them from making those (laughs) yeah very true Uh, it's like yeah they've always they've got room to put things in and i i yeah i I don't think gw feels limited by design space i think they're they are more comfortable with the idea of slowly rendering certain options obsolete and i don't and I don't really think they're bothered by that. I mean, and I don't know if like you can argue whether or not there's a, and there probably is a financial reason for it because the world was inundated with tactical Marine squads. They didn't need to sell anymore, but how do we sell more Marine art units? Well, let's make new, better Marines. And like, like I said, you can be, you can decide like how cynical you want to be about that. Um, but it also they've come up with story reasons and whether you love or hate Primaris Marines, you know, they're definitely they're here to stay. They are leaning hard into them and and the player base is looking at them, at least at the competitive level. Uh, we don't you know, obviously we don't have numbers on what those look like at a at a casual level. But uh, I, I see a lot of people coming up with new chapters and coming up with new things that can use like. Uh, inner, you know, use Primaris Marines. So, yeah, they, I don't think GW looks at this the same way. Like, it's it's weird. So, like, this, they're definitely game designers, but I don't think they look at this the way that a game designer might and say, "Well, we've already filled in per unit. We already have units that fill purpose X, Y, Z, etc." They kind of look at what would be cool. What can it do? Does it make something else obsolete? Oh well, too bad. We've already sold enough of that anyway. Let's make something cool and new. Like, I don't think anybody is is feeling bad that nobody's taking regular dreadnoughts anymore because redemptors are available. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that we've, we've heard in, in interviews where they talk about like when new models come out, a lot of times it's the model designers design a cool looking model. And then later on they come up with what the rules should be. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it's oftentimes just a, a matter of make a cool thing and then fit the cool thing in. Yep. Yeah, very much so. So uh, I do think there's stuff that could probably be farmed out to legacy, but I'd, I'd much rather see some of this existing stuff get tweaked and upgraded, especially things that need new kits. Like I think all the aspect warriors need new kits and they've had some tweaking with like the new Exarch abilities. Um, so it's like, there's definitely like, I'd love to see striking scorpions get like, I'd love to see a new Carandris model for them. And I'd like to see a new, uh, you know, new models for them in plastic. So I, I think, I don't think they're ready to be put out to pasture yet. It's just, we don't, they're not the, at least in competitive play, they're not, they, they don't fit the gameplay style right now. So you just don't see them right. much, but that doesn't mean they're not usable. Right. Yeah. The two things they really need is, like, yeah, like I said, the new Exarch powers came in, give them a, a boost. But yeah, new plastic model line would be wonderful, and then follow it up with 
new rules that maybe made each of the aspect warriors more killy because that's kind of what they lack right now. All right, we're going to try to push through. We've got three more. There's one I actually accidentally skipped because at some point it got copy-pasted with another one, so I've restored it. Uh, from Aaron Bateman, Aaron writes, Some heavy rumors of a sort of ninth edition release this year. What sort of changes from 8th would you like to see? Um, this is could be an episode in and of itself. But uh, I'm so going to do the top one. Of each. I, I would say the top one of each. Like if you okay, like for each of us, uh, what would be like the, the number one thing you'd like to see? So, Dennis, we'll start with you. I would love to see the kill team shooting rules in where you got half um, ranges minus one to if you're past half range, it's minus one to hit. OK, Kevin. Yeah, just functional cover rules. <laughs> Richard. Yeah, well, yeah, that was the first thing that I thought of. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I think for me, I, I'm with all of you. Basically, better cover rules and and shooting rules that are a little bit more balanced. Yeah, range range issues and like even if the cover rules just switched back to the obscured rules that uh, Kill Team has, where it's like if you are your minus one to be hit if you are halfway obscured, which. I think, I mean, it's the way things used to be. I don't, that's one I don't think would be a problem if we went back to it. Yeah. All right. Two more. Uh, Simon Neville writes, have you guys come across an acceptable minimum percentage of line of sight blocking terrain? A simple method for making the placement of that terrain involve both players and each player be able to bid or similar for additional terrain or less terrain as best suits their army or tactics. Ooh, that's uh, interesting. I don't know if I like the idea of bidding for more or less terrain. <laughs> I, I I mean, that's something yeah. you could definitely build into a narrative mission. Like, you could have a yeah, narrative mission. Campaign. Yeah, or a campaign where it's like, hey, maybe whoever wins the last battle, like, you could have it say either the attacker gets to pick or maybe the defender, the person who lost, gets to pick, like, gets to set up the terrain. Because, like, Ooh. okay, so... You're, I'm on the defense, but I'm going to put you into an unfavorable position as we, as we fall back. I mean, I could definitely, but I don't think I would do something like that competitively. Oh, no, not at all. But that's <laughs> an interesting idea. Yeah. Because mainly because it take too long. Like, then you're adding, like, a whole other section to the game before the game starts. Um, but, uh, so I, I remember 6th, 7th edition, one of the, one of the previous editions, where... There were actually like instructions in the in the rule book for like how to set terrain up, and it was like table, you know, put the put the table into quarters and basically fill a quarter of the table with terrain, and like that's the right amount of terrain, and then like alternate placing the terrain out. Yeah, um, that's how we used to play a lot. Yeah, so I I liked that. Again, it takes a little bit of extra time. So like if you're gonna do a competitive event you need to have the tables pre-set up in some way or, you know, at least have some element of them being set up beforehand, whether you want to go as full as what Atlanta or LVO are doing. You just have to do it for speed and consistency. But, um, but yeah, for like a pickup game, so like that, like some way of kind of like alternating setting up the table is, you know, is definitely a lot of fun. Um, as far as minimum amount of line of sight blocking terrain, I don't know. I always try to put, I always try to put like two pieces of line of sight blocking terrain kind of each on each side, um, but it just kind of depends on what we have or what we're doing for the game. Yeah, and like also if I'm running my, if I'm running my berserkers, I want way more line of sight blocking terrain. <laughs> yeah, and it also depends on what you're defining as line of sight blocking terrain. Are you defining 
uh, it only has like two or three story ruins or, or large pieces of terrain, or are you including things like those four inch tall LVO hills that are basically yeah. like, you know, four inch tall, 12 inch long barricades effect, you know, like two inch thick barricades. So it's like, that's technically line of sight. Are, are we blocking line of sight from like ground level or from night level? So it, it really yeah. deci- depends on what you define as that. I, and in this format, I mean, technically it should be a hundred percent line of sight blocking terrain. Cause that's the only one that really matters, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to see a push to more area terrain to try to make it less, uh, it, cause I'm, there's a balance between planet bowling ball, which is not good. And the planet where everything, where it's like deep city fighting, where nobody has line of sight to everything, everything has cover, and the minute you pop out, like, because it slows down, you know, that that choke points movement as well, which is not necessarily great for an assault army either. So, yeah, it just depends on what you define as line of sight blocking terrain. But yeah, that's always been kind of our standard is a quarter of the table should be filled with terrain. Mm-hmm. All right. And now our last question from Keith Hickey, and, and uh, this will be... Uh, not necessarily less. We have more in the hopper from our Facebook post, but it, we ha- don't have time to get to them, so we will save them for episode 210. Uh, but anyway, uh, from Keith Hickey, Keith writes, Are there too many books and rules in 8th edition now that it's been around for a while? Also, favorite and least favorite Primarchs? I mean, short answer, I'm going to say yes. I hate saying that, but that's that was one of our complaints at the end of 7th, was there's just too many rules, too many things you had to think of. I like all. The, I mean, I liked all the rules in seventh, but slowed down the game. I think we're to that point in eighth, so I'm I'm curious how it's going to handle with everything still moving forward. Um, favorite Primark? I'll just be a homer and say Lehman Russ. <laughs> I don't know that I have a least favorite. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so uh, I would say that yeah, I I think well so. I, there's definitely a rules bloat in this edition with the psychic awakening stuff and, and supplements and stuff like that. But I also think that what they're trying to do to kind of combat that is to make, encourage people to play mo- more mono faction. Where like, I think if you're playing a uber competitive Imperium list that takes the best out of like three codexes, then yeah, sure. You're carrying around a lot of books and it's, it's a lot of rules bloat, but if you're doing something like you're playing the new Sisters of Battle Army or you're playing Space Marines where you're being encouraged to actively only take one chapter or one, you know, with no allies, I don't think the game is is spread out too much yet. Um, and as far as favorite Primark, Angron, least favorite Horus because he got all the chaos ones killed, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Richard? I think my favorite uh, Primark would be uh, Mortarian. I just think he's cool. And least favorite? Mm, I don't know. I, I I don't know that I really have a least favorite. I thought of one. I'm going to be a homer and say Magnus the Red. <laughs> and what do you think about the 8th edition too many rules thing? Oh, yeah. The the too many rules thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's starting to get there. Like... I kind of feel like the game, it really kind of is a, a situation of, I mean, it really can con- kind of be, since there's the different sources, the game really is only as complex as you make it. Like, 
yeah. mean, if you just don't buy the book, you don't have those roles. I mean, the people that you play against might have that book and use those roles, but eh, like it, I, I am, I am quickly becoming less and less competitive and like, it doesn't matter if I win and like, I have it a hard enough time remembering all the, all the rules in, in just a single codex anyway. So let's, uh, let's just throw some models down and roll some dice and, and see what happens. And if it, if all the rules get followed fine if they don't that's fine too <laughs> yeah that's kind of you know I, and it, yeah for me it's like the eight, eighth edition i think I, I do like the fact that they are pushing for more mono mono build armies you know they're they're strongly encouraging that so i think that'll cut it down but yeah it really comes down to you only need yeah i'm with you richard you only need to make it as complex as you want to um and I, I think we we tend to come from, especially older players, come from a competitive mindset of, well, back in the day, and we kind of talked about this somewhat in our our decade overview, that there was a lot less to keep track of. It's like you mm-hmm. could, like you didn't have to yeah. worry about what all that other army could do because, other than like, well, this army has special guns and like one special rule, one or two special rules, it really wasn't that difficult to keep track of everything. Now it's far, you know, there's a lot more, there's more units, a lot more factions. You've got stratagems and, and a lot, a lot of more like psychic powers for each army and things like that to keep track of. Yeah, it can feel a bit overwhelming, but it is only as overwhelming if you decide you have to know what every army does rather than just, you know, and some of that is like in a competitive scene, it's like you've got to learn to, or, or in a pickup game scene, you kind of have to trust your opponent to not cheat you on rules, which theoretically should never be a problem but people are people and uh but yeah it's like i try to know what my armies can do to the best of their ability and i know some of what i know a lot of what other armies do but there's a lot of like intricacies that i don't necessarily have at the top of my memory but if you bring it up to me I'm like oh right yeah that that can do that that makes sense but I, i'm as far as number of books, though, I can usually keep my armies down to, like, one, may- maybe two. Like, my Tau army, the only reason I need two books is because I have a Forge World unit if I'm running my Taunar. Otherwise, it's yeah. one it's one book. My Blood Angels army is going to be two books because of Blood of Ball, although I imagine eventually that might get rolled into one book. But, you know, it's like, I don't need... I don't tend to run a lot of split armies anyway, so... there. There's a lot of books. I don't know if it's too many. I think if anything, there's it's the inconsistency in design, even between stuff like Psychic Awakening and the Vigilist books. Like I'd like to see a more standard design as far as like how books are put out and and how codex supplements and add-ons are treated. But that ship has sailed. So if a ninth edition comes out, maybe they'll unify some of that. But we'll see. And then as far as uh, favorite and least favorite Primarchs. Um, favorite is, ooh, um, favorite Sanguinius, least favorite Perturabo, cause he's a bit of a grumpy, whiny bitch. <laughs> he, he's a grumpy, whiny, jealous bitch. Cause he, he was, uh, jealous of Virgil Dorn the whole time. So 
which is why he and the Iron Warriors and Iron Iron Warriors and Imperial Fists are still fighting over that stupid rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> Even though one of them is dead and the other one never leaves his uh never leaves his demon planet. So and if you have a uh if you have a letter you want to write into us or uh a, something you want to like comment on something on the show or question or something like that, uh there's three good ways to write into us. First is our email addresses. Our email address are, is our first name at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Second is our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh you can like us there, follow us, uh send us messages there. Uh third is on Twitter. We are at twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And uh we collect questions from all of those. Uh, put them in the hopper and try to get as many through as many of them as we can in an episode like I said we are going to actually have a backlog going into our next episode so it may take a while for us to get to to questions but trust us they're in the list we'll get to them as soon as we can Um, also we do have a Patreon uh, if you want to help support the show uh, and help do things like pay for new equipment pay to pay for uh, you know, provide money to help us go to events. Um, basically, it's just an online tip jar. If you like what we're doing, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash preferred enemies and uh, support us there. Uh, you can give as little as a dollar a month and it may not seem like much, but enough people put in a dollar. It adds up and it really helps. Uh, and uh, real quick, uh, before we go to break, we're going to do our hobby progress. Uh, anything uh, people have been working on over the last couple of weeks. Uh, I have been working on... Uh, painting up Oblatai 90, uh, the last piece that's missing from the eight. Uh, I went ahead and picked him up after Christmas and, uh, he is built. I've got his base colors down and I just basically need to kind of finish those up, add some like, you know, and, and then just do armor highlights and such. And, uh, and then basing, basing is, goes really fast. So he's, he's well on his way and I have to have him done cause I'm using the eight at, in the LVO friendly. So, and then I've got like a, a few, st- stealth stealth team models that i need to like they're halfway painted i just need to basically do highlighting and clean up on them but uh obelitai 9 is the 90 is the the main one i'm working on right now uh so my hobby progress is basically just working on uh finalizing my list for the lvo friendly and, and i've got a unit of berserkers a unit of noise marines and a couple of the random models that i need to finish painting um, other than that, I'm starting to plan out what I'm going to buy for sisters um, to kind of build out an army for that and figure out what what faction I want to play and how I'm going to paint them up, stuff like that. But that's uh, that's really the big one is just finishing up stuff for LVO. Um, I guess mine has been a different sort. Mine has been planning what I need to try and get all of my armies packed up and what foams I'm going to need and getting hopefully ready to put in a, a – order to help pack and transport my armies. So a different type of hobby progress, I guess. I, uh, put together the, the red Gabo and I put together the, the tech priest white dwarf. Uh, and then I also a while back ordered a couple of the made to order, uh, models, uh, like an inquisitor with a grimoire and Imperial confessor Kirnov. And I've started putting those together. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that takes us to break. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we get back, we will get into our main topic, which is our look at the two most recent Psychic Awakening books. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. 
That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. That means it's time to dig into our main topic, which is a look at Psychic Awakening, Faith and Fury, and Blood of Ball. So we've talked a bit about the previous Psychic Awakening book and how the storyline in that one, it, like, it had a start and a finish, but it didn't really move the, the needle any. It's just like, this is kind of, just kind of saying, this is what's going on with the Eldar over the, you know, all, during this storyline while other things have been going on. And the psychic, uh, the, the, these two books, they don't even go that far as far as like there's a start and an end. There is a start and there is a buildup and then that's where the narrative stops. And I, after the reading the first one that when Faith and Fury came out, I was a bit disappointed because I was like, okay, so the, these are all going to be individual campaign books. You'll like get a beginning and middle and an end of the campaign and you don't. And I think. Um, I think after reading Blood of Ball and seeing how it's the same way and that there's a beginning and then there's a buildup and then it stops, I think that's most likely going to be the structure going forward is we're not going to see the resolution of all these battle zones. We're just going to see these are the thing. These are the fights that are getting ready to go down more mm -hmm. than anything. Because like uh, Faith and Fury, we'll start with that one since that's the, the first of the two books. It basically involves uh, the word bearers along with the uh, Iron Warriors and Night Lords attacking the Talidus system, which the Talidus is like a big ecclesiarchal like church system, basically. And so it's like a, a big focal point of the Imperial faith. So, of course, the word bearers want to mess that up, you know, to get you know a symbolic victory, if nothing else. 
but they, you know, they also have other plans. And this is all tying in with the whole, like, they've got these echoes of awakening that at the end, the psychic awakening that's coming, which is basically, and, and they, they mentioned this throughout the story that there's more and more people manifesting psychic abilities, both demonic and like holy. You know, it's like their psychic powers and, and, and manifestations of the warp are becoming more and more common. But that's where the story ends. And in fact, the storyline section of this is, let's see, it starts on page four and it ends on page 19. And like it covers a few of the battles that are happening, but it just it's like building up to the crescendo. And then and then we get two pages of like just little snippets of Vox broadcasts and messages from like various elements around the the galaxy. And then it just we go straight into the the game rules. So that was really jarring at first. That's like I thought there was going to be more to this. And it was also funny that, like, in Faith and Fury, this is, like, the Black Templar supplement book. And really, the only mention of the Black Templars that I saw was, like, at the very beginning, they talk about how, like, the Sisters of Battle and the Black Templars are are fighting on these, you know, fighting against, uh, you know, heretics and such. But, you know, they're, like, crusading against them. And then and then that was, that was about it. So, it's like, I was waiting for some big storyline where it's like oh yeah and then you know high marshal helbrick comes down there's like this big epic fight you know kind of the stuff you'd see from vigilus and even if the overall storyline didn't move you'd still see like something big would happen and at this point it's like something big is about to happen end scene which is weird well so i guess my question is i mean and obviously i think i know what the answer the answer is the way you'd kind of describe this but is that better or worse for like a setting book to like establish the setting and the conflict and then let it play out in game? Or do you want it to be more of a complete resolved story than that? Cause I can kind of see it both ways that like, Hey, we're moving the story forward. Here are the conflicts that are happening around the galaxy and end scene. Now you figure out the rest. I, I can understand how that is like good from a, from a player perspective, but I can also understand that that's frustrating from a story perspective. I, I think for me, it was just more a matter of every campaign book that we've had up until this point. And this is, I would say even going back to like the forge world, Imperial armor books, mm-hmm. you know, even if they've been like two or three parters, it's been like, here's the initial scenario. Here's the escalation to it. And then maybe that's where part one ends. And then part two is, and then here's, when things and then here's how things play out and that's kind of like how vigilus was done also it's like vigilus was like here's yeah. the build up with like the orcs and the gene stealer cults and a little bit of action from the drakari and then and then chaos shows up and then the second book was in and then abaddon like like comes in force and then there's a big fight to push him off the planet and they they managed to succeed and story end and so i was kind of hoping that the psychic awakening books would like you know, when they said they were campaign books, that's like that was the the image that was in my mind because that's how they'd all been up until this point. You thought, okay, they're all going to be these little self-contained war zone books. Even like uh, when they did like the apocalypse like war zone books back in sixth mm-hmm. edition, they were also they were still like that. They were like one book each, but they were they basically covered an entire apocalypse scale war 
within that one book. And then they'd have a small rule section at the end for the stuff that was in that battle. But it was mostly a narrative book that had some rules in it. Whereas these are the flip. They're, these are mostly rules books that have some narrative bits in them. And it was just a very sure. different s- structure. Yeah. So I imagine as we get more of them, if they, and it may also be that they've got different, you know, since we don't know which writers are working on what, it may be some of the writers are writing these as like, like you said, like, here's the build up. Now you play out the battle and some of them may have the resolution. Like, I'm curious to see if Ritual of the Damned has the build up to said ritual that Magnus is trying to carry out. But then we don't see what the resolution is. Like, are the Dark Angels and Grey Knights successful at stopping it? Or do they do they manage to, like, disrupt it partially, but it's a Pyrrhic victory? Or, like, which, I mean, it's 40k, so, of course, they're going to be successful, but it's going to be, like, one step forward, two steps back. So, I'm curious to see how that's how that's going to play out. And if every book is going to be like this, where it's the intro to a narrative, and then you play out the battles, or if it's going to be, like fully contained it, it just it, it's a different way of doing a campaign mm-hmm. book than they've done before and i think that's that's just what threw me at first now i'm kind of like okay yeah now that they've done two of these i think that's where they're going with this because blood of ball is the same way it's got like the blood angels realize that the you know life high fleet leviathan is still out there and still attacking and they're going after these particular planets so we'll try to stop them and some things go right some things go badly and stop so it's you know it's that same same structure okay but i would also argue that most people are not buying these for the narrative (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the other thing i was to say it's like yeah like the the war zone books or like the forge world campaign books if i'm paying 85 dollars or 100 dollars whatever for a book yeah i want it to be a large sprawling book with artwork and new units and story and stuff for this, most people are buying these for the for the rules. Yeah, so I'm okay with them being a little lighter on story. Still, I, I'd like to see, I, I I want to see how these stories play out, and it may be that at the end of Psychic Awakening, maybe we get a book that covers like how all these stories finish up. I don't I don't know. You know, it's like this we're kind of in unprecedented territory here, so I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, uh, but as I said, you know, I don't. You know, the rules, the, the fluff section goes really fast. So we'll, we'll mostly focus on the rules in these. Cause again, I think that's what most people are looking for. I mean, now there are some, uh, they do have like theaters of war. So like the theater of war and faith and fury is a warp tear, which, uh, has rules like this is what happened. Like the, the great rift has opened up near this planet and weird things are happening. So things that will happen during the battle, if, if you want to apply those rules. And there's two Echoes of War missions. So it's like, it's a very, even the narrative section is very stripped down here. And then we get into rules for individual codexes. So first off, uh, Space Marines, they added stratagems for doing your own chapters, like masters of the chapter. So like the, the, the master of sanctity, the master of the forge, chief librarian, stuff like that, which I thought was very cool. Because it go leans further into that make your own chapter, mm-hmm. which you know when you you've got a number of factions that have a chief like you've got Tigeria, so if you've got Ultramarines, you have a chief librarian, you have uh, Chaplain Grimaldus, so you have a Master of Sanctity if you're Black Templars. But 
what if I'm playing White Scars? They don't have either of those listed. What if I'm playing, uh, you know, Iron Hands? We don't have, like, there's a, I think they have a Master of the Forge, but they don't have, um, and, you know, they don't have anything else. So, you know, having the ability to build these characters with stratagems, much the way that you build it, you make a chapter master, like make a captain into a chapter master, I think is cool. And the way they've done it is interesting, too. It's like each one of these, uh, you have to have in it the right kind. So, like, for Master Sanctity, you have to have a chaplain. You make them into a Master Sanctity. They get that keyword. They get an ability, like, they know an additional litany. And then there's, like, here's a couple of warlord traits they can have. Here's a couple of relics they can take. And then they all follow through that same way. So like Master of the Forge is the same way. And each one of these also, they get a better version of what that what that unit normally does. So like Master of the Forge, you get a tech marine. And I do like that they specify it cannot be a tech marine gunner. So no upgrading the guy behind the Thunderfire cannon. <laughs> which is only fair. Because he's already good enough as it is. Um, but Tech Marine gets uh, Master of the Forge. When this model repairs a model using Blessing of Omnisciability, ability, it regains up to three lost wounds instead of up to D3. So, you know, much like, you know, the Forge Father, you know, Iron Father of Heroes from uh, Iron Hands. Uh, Chief Librarian knows an additional psychic power and can deny one additional psychic power. Chief Apothecary, uh, reroll dice to determine if a destroyed model is returned to a unit. Uh, chapter Ancient gets the Chapter Banner, which is what, uh, like, the one in the Ultramarines has. Same, uh, same with Chapter Champion. So, like, Ultramarines can't have those because they already have those options. Also, I like the fact that they've specified in the, in the strat that you cannot, you can only use a stratagem once per battle, and you can't have two Chief Librarians or chi- Masters of Sanctity from the same chapter. So, like, if you have yeah. Chaplain Grimaldus in your army, you cannot make another one. <laughs> So, you know, they've, they've made sure that both narratively and balance-wise, it all works out. So I think those are handled very well. And, and in the, that, again, it's just this nice, it's kind of a nice fluff piece. It's I, I would say it's just a fluff piece. It's also, you know, it's got some rules benefits to it. But it really, again, leans to that build your own chapter, build your Space Marine Army the way you want. And, you know, it's more options. And I don't think any of them are terribly overpowered or anything. Yeah, they're all good good fluff like good uh good flexibility things without having to go through and and have each each supplement have you know each of these is like unique characters you just like here's the rules for them play them as you you know play them as you want and add them to the chapters where you can so yeah i like it Mm -hmm. and then we get into the black templars rules and this is a fish effectively the uh, Space Marine Codex Supplement Black Templars. It's got all the same stuff that you would have in one of those supplements. So Black Templars, again, they still can't have librarians, which we knew. Uh, they cannot take a chapter champion because they have the Emperor's Champion. So they that character, even though it doesn't have the... Uh, I don't think he has the chapter champ in... Uh, he does not have the chapter champion trait, but they don't use that. They have somebody that becomes Emperor's ch- Champ. And then they have, so they, they run, run with doctrines. You know, they, they have combat doctrines, same as all the other space marines. Also an FAQ, uh, they fi- finally been FAQ'd. And so, so I'm glad we kind of waited until now to talk about it. Even though black Templars are descended directly, they, you know, they are technically successors to the Imperial fists. Uh, the official FAQ says they play so differently, like their, their combat doctrines and strategies are so different that they are not considered Imperial Fist successors for the purpose of like stratagems and such. So 
I so like no bolter drill, for example, for them. That which is fine. Yeah, that's good. And they they have never played like they were Imperial Fists, so it's not like oh we had that and you took it away. It's just like no, they were never meant to have that. You just you know we just have to clarify that because it's like technically yes, but no. Uh, but anyway, so they they have access to like all the other supplemented armies. They have a super doctrine, which is Knights of Sigismund. Whilst the assault doctrine is active, so third turn at at earliest, when resolving an attack made what made with a melee weapon by a Black Templar's model with this ability against a unit that is not a vehicle, in a turn in which that model made a charge move or performed a heroic intervention. Unmodified hit rolls of six automatically score a hit and successfully wound the target. Do not make a wound roll. That's pretty nice. It's nice, although the against things that are not vehicles is a li- is a bit of a limitation. And I get why, because it's like they're supposed. It's like when they're fighting other being, like when they're fighting heretics. But it's still kind of like. It's a it's a weird limitation to have, but I I guess it makes sense that a guy with a chainsword shouldn't be automatically able to like auto wound a knight just because he hit it really good. Yeah, like I understand that limitation because you're right. Like it would be way overpowerful if yeah if if a crusader squad could then start wounding knights on sixes, you know, on one roll. So. Right. Yeah. So I again I get why it's there. It it does seem like a weird limitation at first, but I I get why they have it. Uh, and then um, we got updated data, sh- or I should say updated. I think it's pretty much the same data sheets for the most part as they had in uh, the uh, downloadable supplement they did so that characters were playable until the supplements came out. For High Marshal Helbrick, the Emperor's Champ, uh, Chaplain Grimaldus, who's been switched to use the new litany system, his Cenobite Servitors, and then Crusader Squads got slightly tweaked, and they're kind of disappointing now. Uh, so they, they still have the ability to take, you know, they, they start with Initiates, they can take Neophytes, which are basically scout bodies in the squad, they can take up to 10 Neophytes, and they're not limited to uh, having no, because they used to have, like, you can't have any more Neophytes than you had Initiates, which is so, like, no more Scouts than you have uh, armor bodies. They don't have that limitation anymore, but uh, they also shifted them so you can't have a sh- you can't have a special and a heavy weapon unit in the squad until they're at least ten. You used to be able to do it at five. Now I don't know, remember if they were able to do that in five in eighth edition. They were definitely able to do it in earlier editions, but now you have to have a ten ten initiates to do that. So a little bit nerfed there. And then the other thing is paired combatants, which uh, while the unit contains at least as many initiates as neophytes. So again, encouraging you to have as many power armor guys or more than you have scout bodies. When resolving an attack made by a melee weapon by a neophyte in this unit, reroll hit rolls of one. So your scouts hit slightly better as long as there's more power armor there. Yay, I guess. One thing that I think would have been interesting is if they had somehow incorporated the Primaris models into the Crusader squad and like given you the option to mix in a few Primaris bodies or something. I And I know that gets complicated because then you have the whole wound issue and multi, you know, different wounds on models and stuff. But I think that would have been a neat way to kind of upgrade it and make it feel like it's like it's not a legacy unit like we were talking about before. Yeah, I don't know. As is, it just kind of feels like 
you're probably not going to, you're probably going to take Primaris Marines instead. Yeah. I mean, I don't see, and, and like they're equipped like attack squad by default. And the only thing is like, you can trade out their bolt guns for chain swords and they can't combat yeah. squad. Because you know, Crusader squads have never been able to combat squad, but it's like, sure, I'm not seeing with this particular unit why you would ever take this over either a standard tactical squad or an intercessor squad. I mean, unless the the only reason to not take inter, not take Primaris is if you want to have them like come out of land raid, like if you want to play like old school Templars. Sure. But if you're using newer models, it's like why not just like there's no there's no incentive to use Crusaders. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. They get a whole set of six devotions of their own, or like not six devotions, six litanies, litanies of the devout. So they are devotions of litanies. I I know what I'm saying. Somewhere <laughs> in there, and you know it's all the standard stuff: uh, litanies, warlord traits, a page of stratagems. Which uh, they get the abhor the witch, so they get their their one per phase four up deny psychic power, which is good because they have no other way to really do it. They get the ability to add extra relics, and they do have. Uh, crusader relics so like you can give sergeants or sword brothers which is basically sergeants so a small subset of the relics because since they don't have successor chapters but they do give you a way to like give your sm your not quite character upgrade models uh relics which is kind of cool uh, devout push lets your uh, stratagem that lets a unit uh, consolidate six instead of three inches. So, I mean, like they've got stuff to like get into assault, push forward into assault. They're very much an assault focused army, not quite in the same way as like uh, white scars, but they, they definitely have, have tools for like getting up and, uh, and getting into combat emperors will, uh, for CP uh, infantry, Templar infantry unit from your army uh, after they advance. So you can wait to do it till after you advance. Uh, they can still shoot with pistols and can still charge, which is cool. Mm -hmm. They even have a unit for, they have a stratagem for Black Templar scouts, which again tells me like if you're going to take scouts, don't take them as neophytes, take them just as scout units because they'd be cheaper troops that way. <laughs> Uh, select one Black Templar scout unit from your army that made a charge move or was charged this turn until the end of the phase when resolving an attack made by a melee weapon by a model in that unit. You can reroll wounds. That's like, uh, that's way better than rerolling ones if I have enough power armor bodies in the same squad. Absolutely. I, the one that I kind of, that I like the idea of, of their stratagems, is that uh, Tenacious Assault. Um, I'll get to why I don't like it, but I like the idea. Uh, it's 2CP, use the stratagem in the movement phase when an enemy infantry unit that does not have the flyer battlefield role and is within one inch of a Black Templar's infantry unit uh, from your army is chosen to fall back. Roll 1D6 on a 2+, plus that unit cannot fall back. That's really awesome to be able to lock a unit in, but 2CP and having to make a die roll for it feels like it's not enough of a lock. But like the ability to potentially lock a unit in and not be able to fall back is is huge um especially with an, ass you know, an assault focused army yeah i mean it's gonna feel bad when you roll that one that that's the problem is you spend two cp and then you still have a chance to where it's to not happen so i don't like the implementation but i really like the idea of that stratagem so really what you're saying is it's actually a three cp stratagem because you yeah, won't have it, one banked for the reroll. yeah or honestly it just needs to be two two cp is a lot i mean I, i'll agree get 
make it TCP, and then that unit just can't fall back. It's only one unit per phase. Like you can't use this, you can't use it multiple times. So just make it TCP, no die roll. Then, then you're you have a like unique dedicated assault thing that like no, you're going to stay locked in. You have to stay here and fight, um, which I don't think any other army has. There are one or two unit like uh, which. Uh, Drukari witches have similar ability. Like you, okay. can, you have to like beat a roll off, or you mm-hmm. you have like you you don't you can't automatically fall back. There's a chance you won't. But Toxic- like I think that's very cool to. Toxicrine has a a stratagem in the upcoming book that we will be talking about that does kind of the same thing for the Tyrians. So yeah, so they're starting yeah. to make that kind of thing, which I like. I do like that. I, I also I think I. It's disappointing that it is only limited to infantry, but then I suppose it would be too easy to lock up enemy tanks and things like that so they can't shoot. Mm-hmm. And then I am amused by the shock and awe stratagem, the last one on their list. Uh, use the stratagem in your charge phase. Select a Black Templar's infantry unit from your army that disembarked from a Land Raider Crusader this turn. Until the end of that turn, enemy units cannot fire Overwatch at the selected unit, and when resolving an attack made against that unit, subtract one from the hit roll. Which, and to make land raiders happen <laughs> you know what would be awesome is if land raiders just had that ability yeah that would be kind of awesome because then land raiders would actually have a purpose <laughs> because you know they're supposed to be assault vehicles having that as the rule that's like yeah when somebody disembarks from a land raider and attacks like you you they just pile right out and you can't stop them that would make land raiders really awesome for assault armies yeah. it would make it'd them make worth them taking worth- It'd make them worth the 400-some points they are. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, it's great. This is a stratagem. Can we just have this for everyone? That would be great. (laughs) Hell, even custodes would like that. Oh, yeah. Everybody would like that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then they've got their relics. Uh, Not going to get too far into those, because then we have six... Six Chaos Space Marine Legions to to look into. Uh, Black Legion is not covered here because they already got upgraded in Vigilus. Uh, Thousand Sons and Death Guard are not here because they are their own books. Uh, in fact, we'll get Thousand Sons in a week or two. Uh, but uh, this gets uh, all basically every other Chaos Legion that isn't Renegades upgraded. Because Renegades also got a bunch of stuff in Vigilus. So uh, this is for all, mm-hmm. all the traditional Legions. Uh, so they officially get updated with uh, their version of uh, Bolter Discipline and Shock Assault, which is Malicious Volleys and Hateful Assault, which is the same thing, just with different names, because Edgelords. <laughs> the, are, they are. They You're are totally, not wrong. They are You're total Edgelords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they did update the Demolisher Cannon, if anyone's actually taking Chaos Vindicators. And... Uh, then we get demon weapons, which is something we have not had other than like on one or two. Like, I think Drachnian's the only like demon weapon we've really seen up until now. So uh, they have uh, basically it's just a relic. It, it's just a you can take the one of these instead of taking a normal relic. And then like each of them is locked to a particular chaos god, except for the very last one. Uh, and they are tied to a particular weapon type. Although I also like that they do include for most of them, not all of them, but they uh, include options that like demon princes can take. Cause like mm-hmm. two of them replace Hellforge swords. Uh, one of them replaces a set of malefic talons. One of them replaces a demonic ax. 
And then the Nurgle one replaces Power Fist because apparently, screw you, you don't get you don't get these on a Demon Prince. But let's see, like the Zinch one is a sword that uh, you know when you're resolving an attack made with this weapon, invulnerable saves cannot be made, and it's an AP minus three D three damage Power Sword or Hellforge Sword. You take it on a Demon Prince, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> also, all of these are demon weapons. So when you when you get ready to fight, you roll a d6. On a one, you take a mortal wound and you can't use the weapon. On a two through more, you can fight with the weapon as normal. It doesn't automatically add bonus attacks the way demon weapons used to. So uh, it's I know. Yeah, so it's <laughs> sad. <laughs> yeah, cuz it used to be like demon weapons were killer. It's like you the risk reward of I will either get a whole bunch of extra attacks or I'll hit myself in the face, but yeah. the extra attacks are totally worth it. Now it's just like, I will either hit myself in the face or not. Yeah. <laughs> However, actually, I, sh- I take it back. The Slanesh one still does have that as its special rule. So it's a pair of uh, Malefic Talons, or it replaces Lightning Claws or Malefic Talons. Um, AP minus two, two damage. When resolving an attack made with this weapon, you can re-roll the wound roll. So standard Talon thing although demon princes don't have that on their talent so that's already an upgrade for them and then when rolling for this weapon's demon weapon ability on a two up you can make a number of additional attacks equal to the result of this weapon this phase demon- right, so that's that's pretty nice yeah slanesh demon prince from chaos space marines with that totally worth it mm-hmm. the, the only thing there is that then you actually you will probably want to strand you will probably want to spend points on the stratagem to get extra relics because Emperor's Children gets really good ones. Let's see, Corn, And we're not going to go through, like, this level of detail in all of them. I do want to cover the demon weapons because it's just kind of cool to see them again. Uh, Zal the Wrathful for Corn replaces a Power Sword or Hellforge Sword. Uh, AP minus 5, 2 damage. Uh, when rolling for this weapon's demon weapon ability on a 2-up, add a number to this weapon's strength characteristic equal to the result until the end of this phase. That's That's scary. Yeah, especially on like a demon prince, that that can get real nasty. Is there what strength six normally? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So that, so <laughs> so yeah, you're no less than strength seven. You're probably looking at like strength nine or ten most of the yeah, time. Yeah. And AP five two damage. That's brutal. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's that's a that's a vehicle killer right there. Because you're also you're hitting on twos. You're rerolling ones. And you're probably, you're going to be wounding most things on threes, some things on twos, and they will, unless they have an invuln save, they have no save, because nothing will save against an AP minus five. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's scary. Golax Fist of Decay, which is only on, only replaces Power Fist, so Demon Prince need not apply. Uh, when resolving an attack made with this weapon, which it's, you know, it's standard it's uh, AP minus two, AP, or sorry, strength times two, AP minus three, three damage. Uh, when resolving attack made with this weapon, subtract one from the hit roll, so it's standard power fist clumsiness. And an unmodified wound roll of two up is always successful. It's it's okay. But On many the things, power two- fist, uh, yeah, with the power fist, a two up's always going to wound for the most part anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, unless you're against yeah. a vehicle. And thing is, it means, okay, well, against... Like most vehicles, because it, if it's, well, it's not, it can't be on a Demon Prince, so it's going to be on a Chaos Lord, so it's going to be Strength 4, so there'll be Strength 8. So, yeah, most things are wounding on 2s, otherwise they're, like, vehicles, you're wounding on 4, so it's a little bit vet, better against going, or against vehicles, you know, against, like, tough 8 vehicles, but 
Also, yeah. if you if you're yeah. playing Nurgle Chaos Space out of the Chaos Space Marine book, you're doing it wrong. You should be playing Death Guard. So it's like they didn't really care. True. <laughs> and then finally, Uloka the Black Axe, which is uh, not tied to any particular god. Uh, obviously replaces a power axe, force axe, or demonic axe, which I do like the that like the Zinch one and this one can replace force weapons, which is cool. So if you have like a sorcerer you want to upgrade, that's nice. Strength user AP zero one damage, which seems kind of underwhelming, but when resolving an attack made with this weapon and it unmodified wound roll of four up inflicts one mortal wound on the target in addition to other any other damage. <sighs> That that's I, still pretty underwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, and, uh, it's yeah. yeah, yeah. I it's it's definitely the one I would take the least of. <laughs> the the Zinch, Slanesh, and Corn ones all all are very good in their own ways. The the Nurgle one is underwhelming because it doesn't really help a whole lot, and this one is just sad. Yeah, because because Nurgle, yeah, they needed more ways to to do mortal wounds right well <laughs> well this one isn't this one isn't even the nurgle one that this is just the generic one the nurgle one's or, just the uh, you right. wound on a two up yeah. with a power fist uh, which yeah. which you would probably do which anyway. you were going to do anyway right? yeah yeah but but again even as as we mentioned earlier like right. if you're taking like a unit of plague marines or like nurgle mark stuff why are you not playing death guard yeah, yeah. Eh, whatever it's good to have the options back i guess yeah now, one thing I thought was interesting when we get into the individual legions is that they did not give them any mono codex build bonus, which I was a little disappointed by. Yeah. Uh, and again, it leads to that whole, I don't know if the design meant like it, if the, if the design on this is being done by the same people that did design space Marines, cause it just, again, like the, the, the boosts they get in here on the various stratagems and relics are good. But it doesn't, it still, it doesn't put them at quite at Space Marine levels. No, not, yeah, not quite. Yeah. And basically each Legion gets a set of Warlord traits, a set of stratagems, and a set of artifacts. Um, and if you are a fan of uh, Word Bearers, Night Lords, or Iron Warriors, we may give these pretty short rough, you know, pretty, or we may give these a pretty short overview because we don't play those so we haven't really played around with them we have played around with the emperor's children alpha legion and and world eaters ones so we can definitely speak more to those like real quick uh word bearers basically get stuff that benefits priests psychers demons possessed they get one that's really good against ultramarine well decent against ultramarines they can reroll hit rolls and wound rolls in the fight phase Against Ultramarines. Yay. Yeah, we're yeah, there. The strategy for the possessed or greater possessed is kind of nice. You could add add one to the, the damage characteristic of their melee weapons. That's pretty useful, but yeah. I don't know a lot of people are running possessed. But you, you might do that in world and word bearers. So. Yeah, I think the word bearer ones tend to be, they feel more narratively based than like mm-hmm. power based. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, which I mean, which is fine. Crown of the Blasphemer is kind of cool as far as an artifact because it gives them, uh, improves their invuln save by one. So it could, you could get your Chaos Lord up to like theoretically a three up, that, which is where it maxes out. They got a Malefic Tome, which gives a Psyker an additional psychic power and adds one to their psychic test total, which is, I mean, that's good. 
And like everything they have is is like consistent with word bearers fluff. It's just I don't know if it's necessarily any of them are big power boosts. Yeah. Um, Night Lords got some interesting ones though. Night Lords actually got ways to shut down auras, which is something we really haven't seen in any other army. Because they've got Vox Scream, which is a uh, two CP stratagem. Uh, select an enemy unit within eighteen inches of any Night Lords units from your army until the next. Until the start of your next movement phase, enemy units cannot be affected by any of the selected units' R abilities. So if you want to shut down Bobby G, <laughs> like deep strike a unit of Night Lords, Warp Talons, or Raptors, or just rush something up on, like rush up bikers or something, get within 18 inches of Bobby G, and then just basically say, no, your Ultramarines don't reroll everything, and your Imperium stuff don't, <laughs> you know, don't get uh, any benefits either. That's that's really solid. You know, being able to do that is really cool. They have a relic that can kind of do something similar. Uh, the Vox Demonicus, uh, while an enemy unit is within six inches of a model with this relic, reduce the range of that unit's or abilities to one inch. Ooh. In addition, enemy units that are set up on the battlefield as reinforcements cannot be set up within 12 inches of a model with this relic. So Night Lords actually get some interesting ways to disrupt enemy armies. Well... And then there's a couple of just nice utility stratagems they have. Uh, hit and run. Uh, use the strategy at the start of your charge phase. Select one Night Lord unit from your army. That unit can charge even if it fell, if it fell back this turn. That's always useful. And uh, Raptor Strike. Uh, use the stratagem in your charge phase before making a charge with the Night Lord's jump pack unit from your army that was set up in Battlefield as reinforcements this turn. Roll 3d6 that charge instead of 2d6. So that 9-inch charge is a little more reliable. So nice things that are going to come in and help play thematically for night lords but also help with the way you're building that army if you're if you're building a traditional night lords army yeah and also being able to fall back and then charge lets you get that uh, hateful assault extra attack Mm -hmm. again which you need so no i i think what they gave night lords feels like it fit it yeah like you said it fits night lords fluff wise but it also does really lean into how they should play and gives them some real benefits yeah i mean i i don't know that any of these armies are going to be like top tier competitive but like the stuff that night lords have now with the leadership stacking that they already had before the ability to shut down auras and the ability to like charge you know after falling back and doing some of these other things are going to make them a very interesting competitive army yeah they also get uh, f- uh, an interesting power sword. So it's something you might put on like a jump lord. Uh, power sword, that uh, it's plus one strength, so already better. AP minus three, two damage. And then each model destroyed by an attack with this weapon counts as two for the purposes of morale tests, which nice. you've already got knight lords applying leadership penalty, like, what is it, minus one for every knight lord's unit within like six inches mm-hmm. up to a max of like mi- minus three. So if you look at it as like ways to get maybe some free kills on units by just making models, you know, run away. Yeah, they've got some ways to like get apply more of those leadership penalties or or make things that play off of the leadership penalties, which is cool. All right. Alpha Legion getting into something that uh, you you actually play, Kevin. Yeah, it's a lot of cool stuff they have for there because it adds back in uh, some of the stuff that. They had before with like being able to you know forward operatives and ambush and some of these different uh stratagems to like make the army play like how you think alpha legion should play um i don't don't know that any of it's necessarily like game changing or game breaking 
Uh, but like it, one of the, the one of the ones that I liked here was uh, so you have the like I am Alpharius Warlord trait, which carried over from the previous ones, where when you your warlord dies, you basically pick another warlord, and then and you also have a stratagem that's called We Are Alpharius. You do this at the beginning of the battle. You select another Alpha Legion character, and that character basically doesn't become the warlord, but he gains a warlord trait. So you actually have the ability to have a pretty good number of warlord traits uh, in play on your army, which is going to be helpful because there's a lot of good aura abilities or you know things like that that'll help uh, that'll help just the army play better. Yeah, and that is one thing to keep in mind here is they reprinted the uh, legion specific strats and warlord traits from the Chaos Space Marine Codex in here. So mm-hmm. technically, everything that's listed is not necessarily new. Like, the artifacts are all new, most of the stratagems are new, most of the warlord traits are new, but there's always one repeat in all of them. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, I mean, it's it's good stuff. Like, it, it all, all the stuff goes into, you know, goes into how they play. Um, there's one now on here where you can get command points back. There's a relic that gives you, you know, gets you up to two plus armor. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of cool, interesting things. Let's see, Iron Warriors... Get strats that lean towards uh, you know a number of vehicle. You got a couple of vehicle based. Some that are good for using vehicles, like healing one of your Iron Warriors vehicles by three wounds, or a tank hunter's strat lets you uh, reroll wounds. Like you basically you target a an enemy vehicle unit and then one of your non cultist units, and when that unit attacks either in the shooting phase or fight phase, reroll all the failed wounds. Or not, not even failed runes, just reroll wound rolls. So if you have, like, if you want to get a better result on something, if you have something that, like, it does mortal wounds on a six up, you can try for that. Rampant Technovirus lets you reroll any or all of the D3 rolls made for obliterators or mutilators, which, like, when you're determining their weapon stats. Uh, that's useful. That is, yeah. that is actually useful. A cannon fodder strat. Uh, use a stratagem at the start <laughs> of your opponent shooting phase. It's two CP. Uh, select one Iron Warriors infantry unit from your army, then select a friendly Iron Warriors cast cultist unit wholly within six inches of that unit. Until the end of the phase, enemy models cannot target the Iron Warriors infantry until the cast cultist, or as long as the cast cultist is a closer viable target. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> so, honestly, that's that should probably just be a Chaos Marine strat. I would agree there. <laughs> but yeah, their stuff is mostly focused on shooting. They have one that's lets them. Uh, Reroll hit rolls. It's basically the same as the word bearers one against ultramarines, except theirs is against imperial fists, because of course it is. Because as I said, Perturabo, Perturabo is a grumpy whiny bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then like most of their relics replace things that are going to be on uh, like warp smiths, because yeah, yeah. which again makes makes sense for Iron yeah. warriors. So again, leaning into how how that army plays, and then we get Emperor's children. I think Emperor's children got the best out of the bunch. In all honesty. Um, you would think that I would think that because I played, <laughs> but I would say I would also say that in got, all honesty, benefits, yeah. in honesty, they they got they got some really solid ones because I mean they're like their strats, they get uh, combat elixirs. You can just like le- like improve one of your units like before the battle, like once per battle, select an emperor's children unit that is not a vehicle or chaos cultist, and you can just give them like plus one attack, plus one strength, plus two movement, plus one toughness. It's like, what does your opponent have? What would be best to use against that? I will have, I will have that. But that's not even the 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 best 
the two best strats in here easily, easily, easily excruciating frequencies, which finally, which like is what noise Marines needed to be really solid. Cause just add it because adding one to their strength and damage, uh, before they basically to a unit, like with, uh, all Blastmasters, Sonic Blasters, and Doom Sirens until the end of the shooting phase is great. I mean, this is real. I, I, I love that one. But even more so, I love Honor the Prince, which is probably the best charge stratagem in the game. And that is, after you roll the 2d6, you spend one CP. One of those dice is a six, and that's after rerolls, too. <laughs> I so, mean, that's pretty darn awesome. Yeah, I mean, just being able to, like, I'm going to deep, like, I'm looking at my uh, Lightning Claw Terminators as now a viable choice to deep strike in and get a charge. Like, I need, all I need is one three on one of the dice, and then I, then I can just, for one CP, I can make it, the other one is six, and they're in. Yeah. We talked about with the sisters, like, the ability to kind of, like, manipulate die rolls and reduce dice randomness is huge. And if you can do that guaranteed with a stratagem, like that's totally worth it. Absolutely. And then, then they've got, uh, a, you know, they've got relics again, and one of their relics is pretty decent. And one of them is awesome. The re- pretty decent one is armor of abhorrence. Uh, enemy units can't fire overwatch at a model with that relic. And mm-hmm. then on top of that, if enemy unit fails morale test while it's within six inches of model with this relic, an additional model flees from that unit. Again, that's something I could see throwing onto like a jump lord. So deep strike in. I'll honor the prince to make sure he gets into charge, and you can't overwatch him. That's that's solid. And they give him the uh, give him the dual lightning claws and replace it with the take the well. No, you can't have two relics. Otherwise, that would be just yeah. too good. <laughs> But no, the other relic is Raiment Revulsive, which no army should have, but I'm going to use it anyway because it's awesome. And that is basically your your character rerolls everything. Rerolls advance rolls, rerolls charge roll, or no, not advance rolls. Rerolls charge rolls, rerolls all hit rolls and all wound rolls. Like yeah, on any attack nasty. they make. Especially on like characters that are are already hitting on twos, already wounding on threes, you know. <laughs> like that on a disco lord is very solid, but that on any character, like that on a demon prince is good. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, just there's nobody that doesn't benefit from that, <laughs> right? Well, the thing is, with that, like you put that on a character, and again, some maybe somebody who deep strikes. Maybe you have a, a chaos lord and terminator armor, and you deep strike him and a unit of terminators, and then um, he's rerolling his charge range, you know, his charge distance, so he's got a good chance to make that nine inch charge anyway. And then the other squads, like, well, as long as they can get a three on the dice, that I can make the other one a six. Like, you can do some really nasty stuff and save a lot of... I mean, this is effectively how many free command points when you think about it in, in terms of how many rerolls you're getting. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of extra help. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, World Eaters. I'll let you take this one again, Kevin, because... I mean, they got a lot of they got a lot of cool stuff, too. Um, they got... I mean, everything kind of goes into you know, assault with, with world leaders, a uh, couple new relics. They got uh gore father. So like you have gore child is the one that Karn has. And so now you have the other giant chain axe that you can give to a berserker or somebody with a, well, yeah, probably berserkers it's chain axe only um, strength two, AP minus two, three damage. Uh, when resolving hits made with this, subtract one from the hit roll and unmodified roll of six, they suffer three additional mortal wounds. 
Um, and the no, attack no, sequence. They, no, they don't so. suffer three. No, it's not three well, additional. They just suffer three mortal yeah. wounds, and you don't determine damage because of the attack it, yeah. sequence ends. That's right. Yeah. So that one's kind of nice because you can then just go in and do it mortal wounds and stuff. Uh, the Berserker Glaive is another fun one. Uh, it's power axe, um, and it's basically mostly power axe, but also that the bearer has basically feel no pain when they have it. Um, they have some really cool stratagems including one that I absolutely love and really wish I'd gotten to use it in the game that we played. Um, Red Butchers. Uh, it's two CP stratagem. Use this stratagem before the battle. Select one World Eaters Chaos Terminator unit from your army. Add one to their strengths characteristics for the models in the unit, and the unit gains the following ability. Blood for the Blood God. This unit can fight twice in the f- uh, fight phase instead of only once. You can only use this stratagem once per battle. Basically, you make a unit of Terminators, Berserkers, and that's awesome. Yeah. Um, I had a unit when we were playing our game against uh, the Borders. Uh, I had a unit of these eight, obviously, all with Lightning Claws, deep struck them in, nine inches away, go to make my charge, fail by an inch, re-roll it, still failed by an inch, and then they got shot off the table. But if that had worked out, it would have been really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, so the... it. It doesn't none of these upgrades or things solve the core problem with world leaders that you still can't get across the table fast enough and you just die to shooting. But they do make them a lot more uh, nasty when they get in there. Right. I'm trying to hear there's uh wild fury. You can basically play put uh, spin that on a unit makes their armor penetration characteristics go up by one. So AP zero becomes AP one. So in the case, if you're taking a bunch of chain swords to get the extra attacks, now they're hitting as hard as chain axes. Um, what was the other one? Uh, oh, stoke the nails. It's kind of cool because you have the um, death of the false emperor, which triggers on uh, against Imperium units where on a six up, you basically get extra attacks. If you use this uh, one CP point stratagem, uh, you get that benefit against anybody, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, other than that, like, it's just a lot of things that, you know, they a lot of these gains ability to get, like, command points back, you know, or some way to do that. So, yeah, I mean, there's good stuff in here, but it doesn't really solve the, uh, doesn't really solve the problem that they still can't get into melee, as yeah. as was also determined in our game when, I, when my two units got shot off the board, like, turn one. <laughs> well, to be fair, you were charging a big block of intercessors. Well, they deployed it. They deployed second, so he'd, like... In all fairness to me, like they did, de- they did counter deploy against that. So. That, that is true. But yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> but it's just one of those where, like, yeah, just you know, it, it doesn't solve the problems with world eaters. But if you're going to play world eaters, it adds some really fun stuff to it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if you're going to try to get berserkers across the board, you you really do need to put them in metal boxes. Absolutely. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Mm-hmm. But I'd say this book, I mean, it's obviously it's a must buy if you're a Black Templars player, because it's the only way to actually play Black Templars. If you are a Chaos player and you're not Black Legion, I would also say this is a must buy book. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely because the the boosts they give in here, even though they are they are all strats and relics, they are still worthwhile. And they will make your army play more like it should feel on the tabletop. And in some of the cases, it will actually give you some very useful tools and, and ways to, to feel like you're having a lot more fun with the army. 
Yeah, definitely. And then that takes us over to Blood of Ball, which again, I won't get too much into the fluff portion of this because it's also relatively short and it is basically Tyranids are coming. Blood Angels going to fight them. Blood Angels get ready to fight them. End. Ta-da! I've read you the book. Well, the... So the twist in this one is just going to be that the uh, that the Necrons show up and they fight off the Tyranids together with the Blood Angels. Because that hasn't happened before. <laughs> exactly. You know, oldies, you know, just stick to the classics, man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so basically, this is Blood Angels Codex 2.0 or, the, you know, it's it's full on codex supplement for Blood Angels. I mean, it doesn't render your old codex unusable it just adds a whole bunch of stuff um and upgrades and standardizes a bunch of stuff also makes blood angel it gives me what i wanted when they announced uh when they announced uh, combat doctrines i was like well i really hope blood angels get something like this they do and that makes me so happy <laughs> because the the dream of uh death company under assault doctrine is real and it makes me very happy and it gets better than from there. So yes, they get all the standard angels of death and combat doctrine stuff. Um, we get the updated Primaris uh, chief librarian Mephiston, which basically his you know he gets an extra wound and he's Primaris now because that's that's any of these characters that cross the the Rubicon Primaris that they basically get an extra wound and they become Primaris. Yay! Uh, they did update all the uh, chaplains to take advantage of the new, like, the way litanies work now. So, Astarath, Lamartis, Chaplain, and Terminator, regular Chaplain, Primaris Chaplain, all got updated. One unit I was very surprised to see, and again, it's, it throws the whole Black Templars, why don't we have Intercessor Crusader squads? We have Death Company Intercessors now. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they can't take jump packs because no one's figured out how to strap a jump pack onto Intercessor, onto uh, Primaris armor, unless you're like an inc- an Inceptor or a Suppressor, or so they have figured out how to do it. They're just not going to do it for these guys. No, uh, they fig- they've only figured out how to do it if you also strap a big gun to them, and that's how they achieve liftoff. Is they have to like <laughs> they use rocket the recoil jump. on their guns. <laughs> that's the only I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> and now the one thing about Death Company Intercessors is they are a shooty Death Company unit. Only one model can have a melee weapon other than like their generic melee weapon. So uh, you're not going to get like the massive number of attacks out of them that you might normally, but they do have two attacks base and they'll have one extra for shock assault. And it gets better from there. Cause when we get to how they, how they interact with combat doctrines. And then after that, they get, uh, they got all the standard Primaris stuff, all standardized, Basically, everything, every new thing that Marines got, they got. And then we get to their super doctrine. They're like, we, this is what happens if you are fully Blood Angels and you're using combat doctrines. Uh, so, well, first off, I do want to say their Red Thirst, their ability that basically their chapter tactic got upgraded. It always had, they get plus one to wound whenever they charge, were charged, or heroically intervened. Plus one wound, really solid. Better than plus one strength, definitely across the board. And they had plus one wound before. Also, when this unit with his ability advances or makes a charge move, add one to the advance roll or charge roll. So, more consistent charges, which is really good for an assault army. <laughs> and then their super doctrine is Savage Echoes. Whilst the assault doctrine is active, if a unit with this ability makes a charge move, is charged, 
or performs heroic intervention, add one to the attack's characteristic of models in that unit until the end of the turn. Note this is cumulative with the bonus these models receive from Shock Assault. So whenever, if you're in assault mode, whenever they charge, they get plus two attacks on the charge. Or plus two attacks when they were charged. Or plus two (laughs) attacks when a character heroically intervenes. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And you, you figure, and in those modes, you're also AP, your, your AP on all your weapons improves by one and your plus one to wound because of your red thirst. It's like this army is nasty in assault and actually has the tools to get there because they have de- jump pack death company, still a very viable option. Yeah. But like it even makes their, like their intercessors actually become a threat in close combat. When, you know, it's like Marines have always had that problem of, oh, yeah, they're OK in close combat. They're kind of they're they're kind of fine. They're they're average in close combat. The combination of the plus one to wound and shock assault. And then if you make it to assault doctrine, you know, so like turn three, you switch into into this. And now it's like everything you have is just a blender. It's fin- it's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. So, I mean, this is, I mean, it's basically Blood Angels get to play with the big boys now. Still, I mean, like, Iron Hands is still, I haven't seen anybody really leaning into Blood Angels yet. And I know some of it is, like, Blood Angels don't have things like, you know, it's like we're not, they, they don't have access to, like, Assault Centurions or things like that. But I'm surprised more people haven't been trying out Blood Angels, but I'm wondering if it's just people have been leaning more towards Iron Hands because it's even easier. But, like, I haven't even seen Blood Angels yet taking the place of like white scars or any of the other like assault focused Marines. So I'm, I'm curious on that, but I'm looking forward to trying it out. I, I actually really want to play and it look like a more assaulty version of Primaris Marines. And then, you know, they get a bunch of stratagems to make them consistent with the rest of the space Marine codexes. So I can only imagine we're going to see something very similar to this for dark angels in the next book. Cause it, it's all the same kind of stuff. They can take veteran intercessors. They get, um, you know, hundred or they get like uh, big guns never tire, uh, transhuman physiology, like all the same stuff that Marines get. They even get stuff to give uh, chapters to uh, successor chapters, for example, or uh, they give you a way to like uh, have extra warlord traits. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's standard Marine stuff, but now Blood Angels have it as well, which is is very cool. And then, you know, they get all the, like, again, all the stuff that, like, Phobos, like, you know, the Vanguard Marines have. So it's like, again, this basically brings, this book brings uh, Blood Angels up to the same level as all the other Marine books. So hopefully we'll start seeing Blood Angels making some waves and uh, and getting competitive again. Which Blood Angels have been near the bottom for a long time. And this actually... You know, they have all the same shooting options that regular Marines do now, and they've got way better assault options. So I'm curious to see what what happens with them. But I, I'm looking forward to playing it. And they do even have like the special issue war gear so that you've got the same things that can be offered to uh, like, like I said, successor chapters. And then Flesh Terrors also uh, are in here and they have their own uh, instead of Red Thirst, they get Fury Within, which... Uh, they do get add to the wound, add one to the wound roll, and then instead of advance or charge rolls, um, in addition, when resolving an attack uh, made with a melee weapon by a model in this unit on an unmodified wound roll of six, improve the weapon's AP by one, which is worse than plus one advance or charge. Yeah, I mean, it, it just is. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> there, there's, there's not really, yeah, 
And then we get the Nid stuff, and the Nid stuff is interesting. There's there's some neat stuff in here. Um, I, I I feel like this maybe fills in a few holes um, that that we're missing. Like uh, just reading through some of the stuff, it seems like they're trying real hard to make hormigons a thing, which <laughs> haven't been a thing for a long time. But uh, yeah, the there's a new set of, of bio artifacts, um, like the resonance barb, which can be taken by a psyker and gives them the ability to manifest an additional psychic power and uh, adds one to their, their uh, psychic tests. I mean, and, and an additional deny. And I, I read this and I'm like, didn't they already have this kind of artifact? That sounds like an artifact that everyone has. Nope, they didn't have one. So mm-hmm. now they do. They're they're all just interesting little little buffs here and there for the artifacts. They're nothing super great. I do find it interesting that oh no, I guess one of them is a weapon replacement. The Stranglethorn Cannon one's a replacement, or sort of. It's not exactly a replacement. It, it's just an it's upgrade. Sort of, yeah. It 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 adds to. I mean, they they all just kind of modify the weapons that they have yeah, more than like, more than really replacing them. Yeah, because like the the venom thorn parasite replace or upgrades a stranglethorn or heavy venom cannon just makes it always shoot the maximum number of shots, which that's good. Yeah, consistent that's good. consistent that's shots good. is good. That 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 way of mitigating randomness always good. Yeah, and all the and, and a whole bunch of stratagems too. Yeah, the stratagems I, I've been reading over here, like, like I mentioned before, the one that that is for the taxicreen that. Let's him keep something from falling back. Um, he can actually use that against uh, any unit, but then he gets a bonus plus one to the die roll if it's an infantry unit. Well, he's big enough. He should be able to hold somebody. <laughs> right. He should be able to grab a hold of a tank and keep it from, from running away. I, I've noticed a lot of like uh, the feral instincts stratagem use this stratagem in the fight phase select one hormigons unit from your army until the end of the phase improve that the armor penetration characteristics of melee weapons you uh weapons models in that unit are equipped with by one there's a lot of different things like later on in the book that will stack with that like aggressive adaption uh, use the stratagem in the fight phase when an enemy unit is destroyed as a result of an attack made by a high fleet model. Until the end of the battle, improve armor penetration characteristics of melee weapons in that model by uh, model's unit by one uh, can only be affected by the stratagem once per battle. So, like you could you could theoretically take some hormigants and start stacking minus one AP, and now all of a sudden they're actually like surprise ambush something for lictors that I wish they always had, but it's, it's one CP uh, and basically says that whenever you go to charge, if they're in a terrain feature or on a terrain feature, or were set up uh, with the hidden hunter ability that turn, then the unit that they charge can't fire overwatch at them and you uh, add one to the, the charge roll. Nice. Yeah, that is so something they've been needing. Yeah. 
just a lot of stuff like that, like giving you more strats to bump up individual units to make them do what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they've got the Hive Fleet adaptations, which is basically build your own Hive Fleet. Yep. You you pick two rules. Um, Some of the more interesting ones, um, like if you want to go Horde, there's the Adaptive Exoskeleton, which gives Termagants, Hormagants, and Gargoyle models uh, in your army a 6-plus invulnerable save. Um, The uh, Biometallic Cysts improve the armor penetration characteristics of Scything Talons that models with this adaption are equipped with by one. So, again, more uh, another good thing for Hormagants. You could even stack that with Pack Hunters, which... As long as you attack a unit that has fewer models than your unit, you, you get another, another minus one. Yeah. I think the only downside I see of these is, is again, it's the same thing with the craft worlds. There's no concept of successor chapter, like successor hive fleets here. So you yeah. give up any of like the keyword bonuses that you like for like psychic powers or stratagems or. Yeah. But I think with all the extra strats they give you, though, that may not be that much of a limitation. Yeah, I mean, most of, I mean, you still have a high fleet keyword and a lot of there, there was actually plenty of, of options, I think, for just having, well, and you get new, new warlord traits or, well, new, new things that you can take instead of warlord traits. Yeah. So the adaptive physiology thing, this I find very interesting because no other army has something quite like this. And I, I kind of think it's cool. Yeah, so instead of, I mean, they're kind of just like warlord traits that you don't have to put on a warlord. You still have an, a, a warlord in your army, but rather than give him a specific little buff, you give a specific little buff to some other monster in your, your army or a, a infantry unit in your army. And, uh, I mean, there's... Which range from an infantry unit that can perform heroic interventions or uh, uh, just a a unit that is really scary because you subtract two from leadership of enemy units around it. Enhanced resistance uh, when resolving an attack made against a unit with a weapon that has an armor penetration characteristic of minus one or minus two, the weapon has an armor penetration characteristic of zero for that attack. Screw your Primaris Marines and their combat tactics. Or their combat doctrines. Yep. Um, Which actually kind of, I find, pairs kind of cool with, like, putting that that on, like, warriors. Mm -hmm. And then, like, there's also that the unyielding chitin, uh, stratagem that lets a, a unit of Tyranid warriors uh, basically reduce the damage of uh, ranged uh, weapons against them, the damage characteristic by one to a minimum of one. So you basically can make a unit, like one of your synapse units very survivable by doing yeah. that. Or like the other thing, something uh, for like the monstrous creatures that you can give in in the adaptive physiology is just uh, give a five plus invulnerable save 
to something that didn't have a five plus invulnerable save before. Uh, and then it would actually, if it has a damage table, uh, you double the number of wounds remaining for the purpose of determining what row to use for the damage chart, which is cool. Yeah. Or just giving something that didn't have synapse and shadow in the warp before shadow in the warp. Um, I can definitely see that as, as like a replacement for rather than just having plus six inches uh, of synapse range, which is one of the like common generic warlord traits for the tier dids. Just get another synapse creature. Yeah. And you've got a C you've got a stratagem. You can spend one CP to give something a, give an additional unit, a adaptive uh, physiology. And it, there's no limitation on that. It can't be the same one. So you could have two extra synapse, monster like you could have two synapse carnifexes or synapse tyrannifex or something in your army right mm-hmm. so yeah that's I, this sounds like a really good set of up, updates for tyranids while again so far all these seem to be like leaning into the ways that tyranids or like any of these armies that we've talked about of these two books leaning into how they're supposed to play and giving them the tools to actually do that yep Yep. Yeah. And then and then the last thing is is they get the each of the already defined hive fleets get a like a signature psychic power that they can take, which is kind of weird considering the rest of the book is about like kind of making your own hive fleet. So you can't use these with your own hive fleet, but whatever. There there's still decent like fluffy options um, that that really fit the play style for those psychic powers. Yeah. Well, it's I, I imagine it's kind of like, well, we're going to throw you a bone. It's like, you, if you like really, if you really like playing, you know, High Fleet Behemoth or Jormungandr, yeah, here's something you, you know, this book will still have something for you, and you still have access to, like, the adaptive physiologies in those, too. So, I mean, it's like, yeah. and yeah. all the strats. So, I mean, it's still a good book for whether you build oh, your yeah. own High Fleet or your or you're using one of the stock ones. That that yeah, that's true. It, it is just the hive fleet adaptions. Making your own hive fleet like section it is really kind of the only section that is. It, it's an interesting option. It remains to be seen, like what kind of combinations you necessarily can come up with as to whether or not it's worth it to give up the other things from the existing hive fleets. Yeah, but and depending on your play style and like the way you want to run the Tyranids, which there's a number of different like strategies that they can employ. So it it uh, it really does kind of depend on that. But I think it, it seems like it's it's making a lot more strategies actually viable, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, more more op- more good options are always better. So and it seems like these are for the most part good options to have. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say overall our I, I would say that e- even if these books, you know, I started off kind of saying that narratively I found them disappointing, mechanically I find these books very interesting. And I'm I'm really excited to see where they're going to go with the other factions as they come forward. And like yeah. you're alluding to, Rob, this feels like a two or a one dot five or almost a two dot oh for each of the 
big factions. Yeah, very much mm-hmm. so. So I'm I'm really curious to see how like Dark Angels and especially like Grey Knights are going to get upgraded. Because like obviously Dark Angels are going to get their Primaris upgrade. And I'm really curious to see what kinds of buffs. Like I've seen a couple of rumors, but I, I'm not going to really. I, I want to see what GW says because I imagine the next week we're going to see they, they're going to le- you know give some samples of, like what Grey Knights are going to get because obviously that is a faction that really needs uh, a leg up, and we'll see if they are able to provide that. Um, yeah, and we still don't even know who Tau are going to be fighting against. Like I said, my my guess is Death Guard, but I don't know that for sure. But I'm curious to see, like, what kinds of, like, Tau already have a lot of stuff. I'm curious to see what uh, kind of upgrades, if any, or if it'll be relatively minor that they'll get. Um, obviously, we've got, like, Space Wolves will get their Primaris update, which I'm I, I'm wondering if they're going to get an equi- something equivalent to Combat Doctrines. Because basically, they're showing, like, this is this is our chance to get all the marine codexes and other things like up to speed and up to the same level so yeah i'm I'm just really curious to see where where they're going to go with these so uh i've like i said if I've, I've kind of made peace with how these books work narratively but yeah dennis you're absolutely right these are these are straight up like 1.5 2.0 codex updates for a lot of these armies ah so i think that pretty much wraps up our main segment uh, and like I said, we're mixing things up. And so for the end of the segment, we have shamelessly stolen an idea. Yes. <laughs> and it, it it is a segment that a, another podcast uses all the time, like every episode. Uh, we're calling it the morale phase. And it, it, it's going to be where we give out a, a, a shout out or mention and talk a little bit about a thing outside of the world of 40k. Yeah. And, 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 and go ahead. Okay. And, and we're calling it the morale phase because it both happens at the end of the turn and we're doing this at the end of the show. And it's something that we are, we just think is cool and helps improve morale. Yeah. So I, I and I think it's only fair uh, that this first edition of the morale phase, uh, we mention the podcast that we stole this from <laughs> and that would be the command zone they are a a magic the gathering podcast uh they do both audio and and video on youtube uh and they focus pretty much exclusively on the commander format for magic the gathering which has quickly become my favorite format of the game and it has quickly become like apparently the most popular like single constructed format like right now like it is yeah to the point where like it started off as like something that a bunch of judges made up to play in their spare time like years ago and now it's it has just exploded to the point where it's like a, not just officially supported but with like actual product and like this year they're like the the command zone podcast even got to like reveal like a whole bunch of stuff coming down the the pipes for this year and, and I'm with yeah. you. And I'm with you, Richard. This is this has become a very fun format to to build and and play for, you know, build for and play. And it's funny that like a year ago, I was just starting to get back into magic. And now I've got like seven commander decks that I've put together. And I'm like, keep coming up with ideas for new ones because there's just so much out there you can do with it. But no, it's yep. 
it's uh it's a fantastic show uh the two guys that do it uh josh and jimmy are are awesome they also do special videos called game nights where they they play games of commander with uh a couple of other people and like the magic universe the you know like and they like they've brought on uh, you'd have to be kind of like steeped in the mat like in the magic like youtube environment to really recognize the people who they're they're having with but they're fun to watch the the production values are very high um yes. they're they're on what like episode 303 now or something uh yeah because mm-hmm. they yeah, put out because they put out something like every week i think yeah they do and then when commander product come out then they they end up doing like a, a big series of you know episodes covering like each one and there's usually at least four that they do four products individually released for uh the commander uh format yeah and so they yeah they 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 kind of like take those apart and like this is how this works. This is like, here's some stuff we'd take out of it. Here's some, here's like our top cards from it. Here's some stuff we would like change in this deck, stuff like that. And they also talk about a lot of subjects. In fact, some of the last couple they've done haven't even been necessarily magic related, but more like, Hey, this is how we got to doing this podcast. This is how we do media. So it's like, they cover a lot more than just how to play the game. Although I'd say the vast majority of their shows dig into different aspects of the game and like, yeah, like you said, focused on commander, but there's, there's just a lot of good content there. They're fun guys to listen to. It's, it's a good show. You can also support them on Patreon, which I do. Uh, so I, I, we're stealing an idea from them, but I'm at least paying them for it, I guess a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But it's one of those things like I, I I like their show and I want to help support it. So I'm giving them a little bit of money on Patreon every month to to, incur- to keep doing it. So, yeah, I, I I haven't dropped into the Patreon just yet. I've been considering it. Um, I always tend to every time the, the couple of times that I've bought stuff from like the online vendor that that is one of their sponsors, I like use their code to help support them. Right. Yeah. Cause they, yeah, they're one of these where they've got like sponsors who you can, was it like, uh, is it, are they card kingdom or TCG player? They, they're card kingdom. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, definitely check them out. We'll put links in the show notes to how you can get there, but you can also like, if you just search YouTube for the command zone, you can like watch their, like it, the videos are basically like the two of them looking at the camera and talking and, uh, you watch them going through their agenda, which they have print on paper, and Josh always like flings pages when he's done, which is great. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so uh, totally stolen idea from them, but uh, definitely going to give them credit where it's due because it's it's a fun one. And we'll be doing different things for the morale phase every episode. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this just seemed like a fun thing to do. So kind of kind of stretch yeah. our legs and and do something a little bit different for us. So. And that wraps up episode 209, uh, preferred enemies. Uh, when we, uh, let's see, next episode 210, actually, we might not have listener mail. We'll see because 210 will probably be our LVO coverage. Cause, uh, in a couple of weeks, Kevin and I are going to be in Las Vegas, uh, playing in the LVO friendly and, uh, reporting from the floor of that event and that entire convention. So, uh, until then, I'm Rob, Kevin, Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and go Chiefs!
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.